Professor, what do we know about them? We know they're extremely advanced technologically, which suggests, very rightfully so, that they're peaceful. Now, I suspect they have more to fear from us than we from them. Ladies and gentlemen, the Martian ambassador is going to say a few words. Come on down, Mr. Ambassador. That's a Martian? Hey, that's close. My God. Yikes. They blew up Congress. <laughs> hey, we all make mistakes, Mr. President. This could be a cultural misunderstanding. Mr. President, they have a planet surrounded with thousands of warships. What do you think, Marsha? Kick the crud out of them. Mr. President, we're going to need you to safety. Should we go this way? Sorry, ma'am. There's a tour going through here. Jack Nicholson. This is the President of the United States. I want the people to know that they still have two out of three branches of the government working for them, and that ain't bad. Glenn Close as the First Lady. I'm not going to have that thing in my house. <laughs> People say they're ugly, but I think they've come to show us the way. Pierce Brosnan. Very curious. Danny DeVito. Martin Short. Uh -huh. Sarah Jessica Parker. Michael J. Fox. Ron Steiger. Annihilate! Kill! Kill! Jim Brown. <laughs> Lucas Hawes. He made the international sign of the donut. Jack Nicholson. Whoa! Hey! You're Tom Jones, right? And yes... Tom Jones. It's not unusual to be loved by anyone. Mars attacks. Why can't we all just get along? Welcome to the Bloody Pit. I'm here once again with Mark Maddox, uh, a good friend, no matter what you hear anybody else say. Um, he's, a, he's a good guy, I promise. Uh, you won't have anything to fear from him unless you're in the same room with him. Mark, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. You know, it's just uh, we just got past Halloween. That was a big blast. Um, you know, but, but at my house, it's Halloween year round anyway, but I just like the extra concentrated dose of, of monsters and stuff that happened this time of the year. And, uh, you know, things are going good. Got, you know, uh, doing lots and lots and lots of illustrations right now, uh, as usual, and uh, just loving life. Well, are uh, you working on anything in particular right now? I'm working on a couple of covers for the final issue of Monsters from the Vault. I'm working on a Kolchak Night Stalker book cover. I'm Ooh. working on a... Nicholas Cage, films of Nicholas Cage book cover. I'm working on a Ghidorah cover for Mad Scientist. I just finished up uh, some covers for Scream featuring John Carpenter's The Thing and the 4K remaster of Phantasm. Just finished up a Lost Continent cover for Little Shop of Horrors. Um, we'll be working on a Frankenstein the True Story cover for Little Shop of Horrors at the beginning of the year. I mean, it's just, I'm just loaded up. I mean, I'm My loaded God. up. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm literally at this point trying to think, you know, I've got a 
literally start work burning the midnight oil because uh, I've got so much. I, mean, I didn't even mention it. There's more stuff on top of that, plus stuff coming into the next year, and that's good. You know, I love I love doing this stuff. I think uh, I think um, you know I'm, I'm not I'm not complaining. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, as someone who loves your artwork, I'm not going to complain either. The more, the merrier. <laughs> Thank you. Um, cool. Well, we are here today to talk about uh, the year. 1996 uh, specifically a couple of movies that came out that year one that was very successful and one that was less successful right. I love one and I hate the other yeah <clears throat> and I think you feel the same way well I think that normally uh, Tim Lucas put this best he said one day he wanted me to do a painting of the two of us you and me uh, in um sumo wrestling garb <laughs> fighting amongst buildings like the gargantuas because of the way we talk to each other but here <laughs> is the question what if the gargantuas became buddies and at least for a day and turned on something else and i think that's kind of what is happening here we're seeing yep. glass <laughs> between two guys that love to battle are, 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 are really good friends, really good friends, but just love to just fight and never take it personal when it's done. You know, you can't and take it personally. No, I, I can't. Sometimes when somebody says something absolutely ludicrous and I don't think they've got the, the background to back it up the, uh, you know, but I, and I do, and I'm not saying I walk around doing that cause that's, you, you're going to walk around like that your whole life. Just like, uh, you've got the problem, but yeah. still, Sometimes people say things that rub you the wrong way. You know, somebody talks about, uh, you know, Charlton Heston was a crappy actor and I get pissed. You know, it's one of those things. It's like, no, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. He was, he was Charlton Heston when he was on screen, but uh -huh. he was, uh, and that, that, that kind of thing. It's like, you don't know what you're talking about. He was, a, he was a great entertainer. He was a very good enter entertainer. And, uh, but the thing is, is that you and I have, uh, duked it out over things before. True, uh, true. Which reminds me, we got to go back to that subject of James Bond and Bond kicking the car over the uh, edge of the cliff someday because uh, you made that out to be so great, and I'm going to deflate that a little bit sometime. You can't and, deflate it. It's sheer awesome. Yeah, but it's stolen. Uh, I don't care if it's stolen or not. There are lots it's, of things in different Bond films stole, that are it, stolen. Yeah, but it's stolen from the Bond film that you vilified saying Spy Who Loved Me. There's the scene with the tie. Roger Moore has got the guy holding on to his tie. He does the exact same thing. Where's that okay, cash? Okay, Mark, is, Mark, we're yeah, not yeah. here to relitigate re the Bond's discussion. That's not what I know. I know you're going to try to wrangle this in, but that, that has to be sliced out this board and put in and, and added on to the end of that one because that's right. And that's the only reason you're telling me to stop talking is because you know I'm right. <laughs> you bastard. So anyway, you're insane. But we are here now as the gargantuas to now turn on – something which which we both i mean i didn't even when i when i met you we were arguing about something i think and <laughs> and even then i knew this guy doesn't like the, the, the this movie uh, the one we're getting ready to talk about so let's let's throw out the title let's have okay. some people gasp in the audience and the rest of them can go yeah he's right <laughs> the film that we're going to start discussing before we get to the good movie is the popular film yeah. The popular film from 1996, one of the highest grossing films of that year, actually may have been the highest grossing film of that year, it was. is, in my opinion, a piece of shit. <laughs> and its name is Independence Day. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm going to assume you saw this in the theater when it came out. I saw it the first show on the Friday that it came out. Wow. I okay. 
yeah, I was ready for it. I was psyched. What did you initially think? I, uh, because of the previews and the shots of the special effects and everything like that, I was totally like over the moon to go see this movie. Yeah. Um, I think the best way to the movie, the movie kind of starts off and it's okay. It's a rolling, it's like a boulder rolling downhill. There isn't time to get into, uh, the subtleties of the characters a little bit. They do a little bit of it, but the first part of the film was like all about spaceships showed up. Okay, they're, they they hit the ground running. We've got these characters that are now starting to look into this, deal with it. There's some family stuff. There's some issues with girlfriends and and uh, you know who's going to be with who. Kind of. There's a little bit of that, but at least it's at an acceptable level. Especially when you have a huge cast, you kind of expect it. Yeah, it wasn't that well written, even those parts. But at least it was. If the movie had maintained the characters at that level, I would have been fine. Now I'm going to go off by first saying the the positives. The one of the big positives of the film is the special effects. I've got no problem with the special effects in this movie. I thought they were absolutely fantastic. I was watching it yesterday for the show. I was watching it on a, a, a Blu-ray. And the special effects still hold up. There's no, there's very few flaws in them. Maybe a few outlines around a few jet aircraft or something like that. And I give those guys a massive thumbs up. But special effects do not a movie make. No. And uh, the setup of the special effects was great. I love it. I love that aspect of the film. But then it started to get like long and boring, and we started going down channels with characters that would die that you were like why did i run down that rabbit hole for 20 minutes why does the first lady get injured at the beginning of the film and then we follow her until she's gonna die and and uh will smith's stripper girlfriend uh why are we following these people when the movie could have been shortened and the it's very um fake kind of dialogue it's not it's not oh, the it's dialogue not, in this film is miserable yeah it's pretty miserable and it's and it's it's taking itself seriously but there's i i mean i i didn't sit there with a a sheet of paper but i should have written as i was watching the film yesterday who needed to be left out of this film and half the cast half the cast half the cast and the thing is is that they're all competent actors there's nobody there that that didn't that, that we haven't seen in something great, uh, or at least gave a great performance. And the first lady following her to her demise, which was just boring watching her lay around, and then the stripper girlfriend who is not that interesting, and just uh, I did, wasn't a big fan of um, Jeff Goldblum's dad. I forget the actor's name, but escapes oh, Judd me. Hirsch. Judd Hirsch, it who's was a great like, actor. Who's he's a great amazing, actor. But there is no bad actors in this film, yeah. and I think I think one of the things they did do right in this movie is they thumbed the nose at the actors at the time that were getting massive paychecks and saying, "No, we want to put that twenty million dollars." towards the, the look of the film, and it shows. I mean, um, but you do have really competent actors. Here's Bull Pullman. I like him. Uh, I loved him in uh, uh, Accidental Tourist. Uh, I, I, I um, uh, you know, uh, Jeff Goldblum. I mean, look at him in The Fly and Invasion oh, of the Goldblum's Body Snatchers. A, he, he, honestly, as years have gone by, Jeff Goldblum has entered National Treasure Department, in my opinion. Yeah. 
and he's and, and, he's, and he even tries in this film. You can watch him, you know, trying to work his magic, but it, there's something about the, the the pacing and the way that they use him that just it it, it still isn't great. Will Smith, I guess this is was this his first film? I can't remember. No, 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 it wasn't. But here's the thing: um, yeah. one of the things about this movie that makes it problematic on many many levels mm-hmm. is that they start out. Well, okay, they spent four weeks writing the script and then a year and a half concentrating on special effects, and it shows. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The problem is that all of the characters are stereotypes. Yeah. Which immediately puts you in a position where if you're going to have stereotypical characters, you better do something interesting with them, or we're going to start to zone out on giving a shit about them pretty quick. And we don't care about them. I don't care about any of these characters. The only thing I care about are the aliens. And so if that's true, your dialogue sucks because you're, you don't care about the dialogue. You can hear that the dialogue is there to just get information into your head. That's it. Yeah. And if it's yeah. not information, we're trying to crack a joke. Yeah. And, and the humor in this film is miserable. Yeah. What was it? The guy, uh, I forget what his name was. Um, Jeff Goldblum. Buddy, his buddy at the news service or whatever, is um, standing there and he goes, Oh, I got to call my mother. I got to call this. I got to call my lawyer. Oh, forget my lawyer. Like that was going to get a big laugh. Yeah. There are some moments in this film where I literally cringed at the at at what people were saying <clears throat> that was even that one when it first happened originally I, I let it pass there's some jokes that that people do in films and you go it's not terrible but it wasn't funny either right and if the rest of the movie's good you'll let it pass that was one of those but uh, here's the the one character that i really disgusted me in this film was uh, randy quaid yes i, the, I just, the alcoholic I, stereotype well, the alcoholic, you know, I've been captured by aliens. People are making fun of him, and he's going to do good before the film's over. And he does it with a great big mouth, running his mouth. It's like, do you think there is – do you think at the end, a spectacular end of, of gallantry, of understanding that you're going to die, but you're going to do it to save your children and save the earth, that you're going to run your mouth with a bunch of – cliched one-liners that we used to get in Disney animated films and uh, variant rip-offs of <clears throat> things like in Poltergeist, they're, you know, they're here. It's like him yelling, I'm back. I mean, the, I wanted to crawl under the seat. When oh, it's, says, yeah, I just it's terrible. It's, no, it's, it's beyond terrible. It's, it's unforgivable. I mean, I'm, I'm just watching this going, wow. The, and, and, and I'll go back to some more hatred here in a minute, but, um, you know, when the lights came up, I was with a buddy of mine who was just as excited about seeing this film with me. And I thought when the lights came up, he was going to look at me and said it was fantastic. And I was going to be the one that said, no, it it, it, it didn't do it for me. He looked at me and he goes, that, he goes, that wasn't that good. And I said, no, no. I said, I got, you know, like, once again, no problem with special effects, but long, bad dialogue, whining. It was like the president gets in the plane and goes to fight. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the guys fighting and 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 getting their rear ends kicked and getting blood. Now, oh, 
here's another character I could not stomach. One of the worst in the middle of Armageddon and everything like that. You've got you've got Harry Connick Jr. who's acting like a complete <laughs> moron in this film, and just saying stuff. And it's like finally the one moment he finally is interesting is the moment he sees the giant ship and all the jokes flow fall away. But I'm going to tell you something. I remember. Uh, let's compare it to like you know 9/11. Even even being told certain things before you actually saw the destruction of the buildings when you got home that night and watched the news. When you when you hear about it, things start getting serious right away. Here's a guy that's been told that New York's been destroyed, that London's been destroyed, and Harry Connick Jr.'s like saying stuff like, hold me, uh, to, to crack a joke. And it's like, really? Would you really be doing – it's – it's like this movie plays to a five-year-old boy. My right. son loves okay, it. You've just gotten to one of my bitches about this film, which is that yeah. this is a film that was built to appeal to the widest possible audience. At least in the filmmakers' minds, this should appeal to the widest possible audience. Yeah. But their idea of how to do that is to make everything at the level of a child. Yeah. In other words, no sophistication, no complicated characters, no complicated anything. Everything has to be black and white, very simple, very yeah. obvious, and any any complication whatsoever has to be bled completely out. So everything has to be surface and stupid and cartoonish, and that's what the film's problem is, is in by aiming – okay, here's the thing. I don't know if the filmmakers – are just shitty filmmakers and they think they're good, or if they're good filmmakers and they think we're shitty. I can't figure that out. <laughs> Woo! It's one or the other. And well, come I don't on. care um, at the end of the day, but it's still insulting as entertainment. Well, that Emmerich, I mean, come on. He's not a good filmmaker. He he does put good people around him. Agreed. I the, the 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 other films he's made show the same uh, stupid disdain for for people's believability. I don't like these um, chase sequences he's got in films where the SUV is going at super top speed while everybody else in the city is dying, and yet this one guy <laughs> is able to get through it through right through the middle of downtown, whatever the hell city it is, Los Angeles, or whatever, buildings are collapsing and stuff like that, right behind him, like some kind of a Warner Brothers cartoon. I'm assuming it, that means you've seen 2012, which I've managed to escape. That's the one that I, I was like, this this guy never quits. He never, qu- he never stops. He's uh, never made a good movie. I hear people attempting to defend his films at times, and I just look at them and realize, <laughs> I guess for you, that's good. <laughs> no. Not for me. No, no. I mean, to me, if you're going to, uh, you know, that we, we've, we've been through disaster pictures and end of the world pictures that do manage to, um, that do manage to entertain, even if they're silly. Yeah. Even even if they're silly, there I won't mention names because I don't want to get into an argument with you about something else on top of us both having, <laughs> you know, feasting now on 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 this carrion Let's of a both film. Stay on the same side of the field. on the same side. Yeah. Today today is is a truce. But um, I really re- regret every time I've watched this film, and I'll be honest, with you, I've seen this film probably eight times, maybe. Um, Good God. Well, I watched it about eight times because one, I still I, I I saw it the first time at the theater. I did not go back. 
Um, no. I don't remember. I think I had HBO. Uh, I had a satellite. I just gotten a satellite dish hooked up that day, and it was on. And it was a really nice, clear picture, so I watched it. Um, watched it a few other times just because there was a DVD copy in the house or um, – Okay, look, in, I'm going to tell you right my now. Son, in the case of my son, yeah. my son, when he saw this film, he was like seven years old, eight it's years old. and I'm like, age. Yeah, and, I, and you know what? <clears throat> he looked at me like I was wrong when I told him I thought it was a terrible film because I don't understand why you feel that way about this film. I said, James, I understand that completely. And and for him, mm-hmm. the review – I, I he, him rejecting my review is totally fine for because he's seven, right? But but it's sort of like um, um, to me if you've got a situation like this, the movie should be as intense as the movie failsafe. Yeah. I like I like my stuff very serious. I don't like I'm not a big fan of. Uh, the, wolf, the werewolf movies where they put a lot of comedy in them. No names, please, but I think you can tell which ones I'm talking about. I'm not a fan of those movies. I think okay. if you have Oliver, if you have a wolf man, you've got Lon Chaney Jr. who is distraught and just wanting to die because he knows he's what he is. Or Oliver Reed. That's that's what a guy. That's the that's the that's the air. That's the atmosphere of a werewolf movie. It's serious stuff. I mean, if it was really happening in real life, nobody would be cracking a joke. There wouldn't be any flippancy or lightness to it. It's really bad stuff. And when you do that, you diminish it. The end of the world isn't something where people are cracking jokes. I think even the most cynical person, and you know, I crack jokes. I crack jokes when bad things happen in my life to to kind of alleviate thing but yeah. i remember like watching the trade center collapse i didn't make a i didn't make a damn joke i was no, i was in, i was terrified i was not i wasn't terrified i was horrified and i remember going to bed that night and having the worst dreams i think i ever had in my life and it was like it was like this is the kind of thing you're trying to present to us you've got aliens destroying all of your major cities and and they're going to finish the job and there's a flippancy to it that you go like, no, no, um, oh, and, and oh, here's another thing, too. Well, you know, there's that Area 51. You know, Judd Hirsch is there doing the whole thing with the uh, – Oh, let's not, let's not get into the Jewish stereotype, which is – it's not something that no, I no, find no, no, offensive. No, no, no. It's just what? such idiotic shortcut screenwriting that it's just pathetic. Well, I wasn't talking about that. I mean I wasn't bringing up the fact he was Jewish. I was bringing up the fact that he – is a guy who just happened to get on board Air Force One. Yeah. And happens to be saying everything. Yeah. He's getting around stuff that politicians have blocked for, for 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 decades. And he goes, Well, it's that place that you've been, that area fifty one with the spaceship. And that's all the kind of crap they hear that the that the UFO nuts going. And then here's this guy going, Well, sir, it's actually not true. We actually do, Mr. President, we actually do have an area fifty one with a spaceship. It's like, how did Hirsch get all through all this stuff, all this decades of people, even at that moment? Why would this guy concede in front of Judd Hirsch? Yeah, you're right. There is one. I would have. I would have. If if it was true, I would have gone off to the side to the president later and go, look, you know, there is a truth to this. There is some truth to this, and, and we should go investigate. And it, it's it's not. It's all sort of like the the speed at which things happen in this um, are are ludicrous in terms of. Uh, problem solving oh the timeline is ridiculous yeah there's yeah. no way to justify how quickly things happen the attack takes place on july the 2nd 
and less than 48 hours later, everybody's coordinated and ready to kick ass. I'm sorry, yeah. not after that attack. Yeah, it should have been. Uh, it should have been. Um, it should have been months later. Right. I mean, the, the people should look worse. I, I just. Well, the, it's, let's it's, let, let's talk about a few things here. First of all, this is one of the most jingoistic, nationalistic, rah-rah, USA, USA, piece of shit stories I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it's like the entire rest of the world is waiting around for America to go, hey, here's how we're going to kill these mothers. No, yeah. no, no. It's embarrassing to rewatch those scenes in this movie because you have foreign foreign officials going, well, tell us what to do, sir. I mean, it's pathetic. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, here's, okay. I saw this when it came out uh, in 1996. I, I took a date. We went to see it. I'd heard good things. I don't know if it was opening weekend, but it was pretty close. And I stumbled out of the theater thinking, oh my God, this was shit. As a matter yeah. of fact, I probably made a lot of people miserable around me for about a week afterwards because it wasn't enough to like find every human being I knew and ask them, have you seen this piece of shit? What yeah. you don't think it's a piece of shit. Yes, it is. It's a piece of shit. I yeah. wrote, this was early in email. I wrote an epic email and sent it out to every human being that I had a contact on email saying, look, wow. you need to understand that this is a piece of shit. Do well, I mean, that's, that sounds a bit intense. I, I, I don't know if, you know, this um, film. Well, let me put it this way. It let me, broke let me, let me, me, man. This well, is the film that broke me. This I is know. what made me realize. And of course, for other people, it was, you know, earlier films that they felt disappointed by. This was the movie that broke me from thinking that nobody would spend a hundred million plus dollars on a film if the script sucked. Yeah. And, this movie proved to me that, yeah, they will. <laughs> yeah. It depends on who your backers are. Uh, you know, you know, this is a, a, a kind of th – there's a problem, I think, with that, uh, with what you're doing to a degree. And, and let, me, let, me, let me give an example. Uh, yesterday I was on Facebook, and I don't remember who it was. Somebody who I know said um, the new Doctor Strange movie is coming out. I used to read the Doctor Strange comics. I don't like what the Marvel Universe is doing with their characters on film. I will not be going to see this piece of drag. Well, a bunch of people, a bunch of people wrote in and said, "Hey, uh, I saw it. and It was really good." Or the reviews look really good. Uh, they, it, it, it looks like it's going to be a winner. And then the last thing, and I even said, "You know, uh, I love this movie." Well, I hadn't even seen it, <laughs> but I said it just to just to just to push back. It's like the criticism against it from somebody who's never seen it. I'm not going to watch this piece of dreck. You've never seen the film, and you're calling it dreck. Yeah. So I'm going to say I love this movie, even though I haven't seen it, and I haven't seen it, whether it's a piece of dreck or not. Now, I understand where you're coming from. I went left the theater, and I was like, wow, that was completely overrated, completely overrated, and yeah. they killed it with stupidity. It's a movie they actually threw the stupid, stupid stick at. Um <laughs> But, I, but, but I like at the same that. time, I do have a little bit of a – there's a duality here where I have this problem with people. Somebody did make something, and somebody comes along and says it's crap. 
that's the that's the weird duality going on here it's like um there are films that are better than this one but people rip into them like they're absolute garbage and that kind of to me creates a a a, a kind of a problem where you're uh, you know it's an opinion you know it's an opinion i I mean um, but my only defense for hating this film and not being able to shut up about it for most of 1996 (laughs) is that it felt like someone had taken one of my favorite genres, the the Mm. science fiction epic and essentially just shit all over it because all they did was essentially remake war of the worlds badly. Yes. Yes. And if you're going to go out of your way to remake War of the Worlds and pretend that you're not remaking War of the Worlds and dress it up and spend a lot of money and hire a good cast. God damn it. Make sure your fucking blueprint is worth a damn. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, um, the, the scenes that really always impress me in the movie are the Empire State Building just literally exploding from the top and on its way down. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, now we can both agree that, that that's great, right? I mean, that oh, the special I'll, I'll effects- grant you all of the scenes of destruction are wonderful. They're all wonderful. the special effects are well handled. I like the design. Uh, yeah. The the alien design of the physical aliens itself is a mm-hmm. little... I don't know. I wasn't that impressed with it at the time, and there's just something about it that seems as if it's a little too derivative, and yet... Mm-hmm. I like it okay. I actually prefer it over, like, say, something like Predator. This looks like a looks like a wrestler with a rose on top of his head. I mean, that's. <laughs> I never was impressed with Predator. Alien was completely different. That was so whack that uh, it came out of left field. But to me, the monsters in this weren't bad. I didn't have a problem with their look. It actually, and I'll say this too. This is a little boy. This is running it through the little boy filter. The scene. Where and unfortunately, I didn't like Brent Spiner's character in this film at all. They should have made a serious scientist, but this Agreed. weird weirdo dude that he was. But when the monster grabs him, slams his head against the glass, and is talking through him, and then they lock onto the mind of the president, and the guys are like, "Is is that glass bulletproof?" And the guys start firing through, and they kill the monster. You know what that reminded me of? It for like two minutes, I was in heaven because it reminded me of Outer Limits. That looked like something that would have happened on Outer Limits. Yeah, yeah, and then and then and then it's gone. We're back to we're back to stupid land. We're back oh, to yeah. stupid land. You actually had some incredible intensity to it, um, and and it did move along real fast. That we understand what they're there for because the 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 the, the telepathic lock went both ways, but. The the destruction scenes were great. The the monsters looked good. I mean, like I said, I'm not going to disagree with you that they weren't the best ever. Um, the giganticness of the spaceships, the sheer volume, and that's one thing that Emmerich is good at. The teams that he puts together is that in any of these films that he does, things look gigantic beyond. He seems to be able to get a scale uh, that most people don't get. Not even Spielberg in a lot well, of ways. Yeah, uh, and he does get things to be very large, but that is also one of the problems, as anybody will point out who thinks real hard about the mothership in this movie, is that if that size object moved into orbit of Earth, it would destroy the planet anyway. Yeah, you'd probably have like tidal waves and stuff like yes. that. It's yeah. as big or bigger than our moon. Guess what causes the tides, people? Yeah. It's the moon. If we yeah. had another thing that size in orbit, the entire structure of our oceans would change. Sure. 
Well, even science fiction movies and horror films that we love, even the ones that are considered good, you kind of look at them. If you investigate them long enough, you see oh, yeah, problems. But you're right. I'm, you know, there's a difference between the willing suspension of disbelief and having obvious things just slap you in the face. Here's my here's my criterion on this stuff all the time. If I get all the way through the movie and you kept me from thinking about that thing. Good yeah. on you. Success. Did a good job. You did a good job. Thumbs up. Even if I think about it afterwards and go, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh. You still get points. You still get points for having fooled me. But if I'm watching the movie and I go, hey, wait a minute, that doesn't that means you failed. Yeah. <laughs> and all through Independence Day, I just kept thinking, well, that's really stupid. That's no, that wouldn't work. That wouldn't work at all. There was too much time to think anyway. And and like I said, the first half of the movie moved at a brisk enough pace that you could get around some of it. But then when you finally get past it, after the initial first wave of destruction, the movie slows way down. Yeah. Way down. And uh, watching jets fight uh, spaceships, uh, you know, it wasn't even all that imp- that wasn't even all that impressive to me. Um, but yeah, capped with one of the the big rah rah. This will this will make the kids happy. Scenes. Welcome to Earth, which just made me want to vomit. Welcome to Earth. That's what I call a close encounter. Yeah, I mean, that's the other thing, too. I think that, um, I don't know what Will Smith, you know, you kind of looked at it. I remember the first time I saw it, I didn't hate that scene that much. But I'll say this, having watched it again yesterday, that monster comes out of there and it's got this sort of a shell sort of a thing going on. Uh, You know, Will Smith should have had something like a big old stick or a rock yeah. Or something else. And really just e- even if there's a spacesuit or something in there, uh, which are, you would think there most likely would be because they did just come from space. Um, <laughs> See, that, you're that, thinking and this movie doesn't want you to think. Well, I would have had him and I know he crashed on the salt salt to uh, the salt flats. And even at the end of the movie, I got a little irritated because I to me. Jeff Goldblum and Will Smith walking across the salt flats at the end of the movie reminded me it stole it from the right stuff. Yeah. When 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 uh, when Jaeger's you know coming back with his face all burnt up, I just um, I was like, really? I mean, but yes, it should have crashed someplace else. There should have been some way that Will Smith could have had a big old rock or a stick or something, and then busted it real heavy, like with something that no one would deny. Yeah, that would have knocked it out, but. You know, he didn't know what he was getting into when the top of that spaceship opened up and he punched it. It's like, really? I mean, th- that thing looks like it would have pulled you in there and eaten you, you know? It's, um, it's stupid. And that's the problem with the entire film is, like I say, either the filmmakers are stupid or they think we are. I think that um, I think that is his is the guy's name is is Emmerich. Is it is his name Roland Emmerich? Is that his full name? Uh, I've heard it pronounced Roland Emmerich. Emmerich or Emmerich. I'm trying to think. And then there was I think Dean Devlin was still with him at the time. I think they separated. Oh no, they, they've been. 
I think they may still be together to a degree. I mean, they they got together. Dean Devlin and he met on a film called Moon 44 when Devlin was an actor. And then they uh, made Stargate, which is another terrible film that wastes good actors. And then this, and they, they kept going. Of course, the next film is the one where everybody turned on them when they tried to make an American Godzilla film. I'm sure everybody remembers that. Yeah, that one was bad. Well, here's the terrible thing. As bad as everybody thought Godzilla was, it still made a boatload of money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's what, what, what can you say if everybody hates the film, but it still makes a boatload of money. It's like watching the Transformers films. Here's the thing. The Transformers films. I don't know how you feel about them. I hate them. Yeah, I'm not a fan. I, okay. I really, I, I, yeah, matter of fact, hate, hate is about, I'll tell you what happens. Every single one of them I watch, I like the first half and then it gets to a point where they're just throwing rubble at you and I can't even see what's going on. And I'm like, forget it. I mean, uh, uh, I, I've been done with, uh, who's the director of those? Michael uh, Bay. He's Michael Bay. Terrible. I used to love, yeah, but I, I, I got to admit, even in a cornball popcorn munching way, I liked some of his earlier stuff. I didn't, I liked the rock as, as rock and rolly as it was, you know? Yeah, I and I even liked you didn't like that one. No. I like I liked Armageddon, but you, no. they, it's almost like a rock and roll thing. But but at least those movies, <clears throat> to me, um, at least I could tell what was going on when I'm watching the whole movie. Transformers, yeah, gets to, yeah. Transformers is dumb anyway because you've got the Decepticon or whatever the hell his name is, <laughs> Ant- Antiseptican or whatever is talking, <laughs> and it's like and it's like well you've already kind of hurt the film, you've already kind of dropped it down to the uh, uh, Emmerich level by having because we know there was an old cartoon where they talked okay, like okay, that. Okay, okay, yeah. Now wait a minute. See, you just made my point. My yeah. point is that the Transformers films exist because. Things like Independence Day was a huge success. Yeah, and there was a cartoon foundation to already have an interest, an interested audience. Yeah, um, but I find the movies to be—it's um, just it just is all special effects with this very fast-paced sort of humor, and I find that um, I, I, I don't I don't care for them. I, I I don't even I don't make it all the way through them as memory. I watched the first two or three. And by the time you get to that last half, he just feels, Michael Bay feels, I'm not giving you enough. How do I top <laughs> yes. Spielberg or whatever? And he goes, I'm going to get to the point where you can barely imperceptibly tell who is dying, who's getting killed. I mean, there's times that a movie's over with and somebody goes, well, so-and-so got killed, didn't they? It's like, no, no, I think they're still alive. Oh, I'm not sure. Yeah, uh, because robot- they're not interested in telling you a story. Yeah, it's, it's well, yeah. I'm not a I, Michael Bay needs to, to go with, away. Yeah, Michael Bay rhymes would go away. Oh, and remember that super classic Pearl Harbor. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, here's the thing. I have to admit, I've stayed away from most Michael Bay films because the few I've seen have angered me. And they haven't angered me because they're shitty films. They are. Don't get me wrong. They've mm-hmm. angered me because so many people consider them so good. And yeah. I will sit down with them and say, well, explain to me why you like this film. And their entire reaction is just could be boiled down to things went boom. Did well, you see that cool special effect? And yeah. it's like, okay, if that's what you're watching a movie for, I get it. I understand. That's cool. Fine. Right. Well, but 
I will Holy say shit. this about The Rock. The thing that I liked about it was it did move very brisk. It was a very briskly paced. The humorous dialogue between Cage and Sean Connery, the actual laughs that I still get when I watch it is there. I do agree with you, though, pretty much a little bit after or even in the middle of halfway through Armageddon, maybe I, I agree with you. But then you go to every film after that, and it's like it's it's a very clear-cut thing where like, where like the butcher just brings down that giant, giant – not machete, but it just chops the leg off and it just scoots it over to the side. It's like, it's that clear cut when for me, I go, I don't like this guy's films anymore. It's like, it's that clear. It's, it's, it's so clear to me that, that this guy is just, his whole function is I am here to overwhelm you. Yeah. And And I reached that point in the rock because the rock has one of the most gratuitous car chases in the, in the car in chase. All of wasn't cinema. That good. The car chase wasn't that good. Yeah. I'll agree with that part. Well, that no, part. It's not just that it's not good. It's that it serves no purpose within the story of the film other than to have a car chase. In other yeah, words, filmmaker won't car chase. Right. Here it is. Okay. And I agree with you. And the thing is, is that it's Fred. It's it. You know what that is? Car chases in films, and I don't like most of them, but every once in a while somebody will pull one out that's good, is like watching Fred and Ginger dance. You don't you, – you could explain to somebody why you want to go watch Fred and Ginger dance, but if they don't like it, they're not going to like it. Yeah. And a car chase is like that. That's the, the, the to me is like the, the the most the dumbest part of the movie. It doesn't really make any sense. It's got a lot of destruction in it, but I do find the rest of the film to be pretty satisfying. And mm-hmm. but having said that, that's right at the edge of it's just before the tipping point where things become completely unacceptable. And I'm like, you know what? You're so scared that you're going to give somebody a breathing a moment to breathe that they're going to call bullshit on your directing skills. And I think the reason that they're afraid that they're going to give you time to breathe is that it will give you time to think. And if you can think in any of these poorly plotted, crappily scripted films, that's death because then people start to realize that they're not – they're not being given a story. They're not being given something that holds together. They're being given a series of set pieces and explosions to keep them entertained and make them go, ah. Right, right. Well, we I guess we're going to get some Michael Bay. We're going to beat him up today too, aren't we? That's good. That's okay. <laughs> okay, actually, um, we don't we don't need to go into Michael Bay abuse. Well, we've because, already done. Here, yeah, here's Michael yeah. Michael Bay, and it's like I and I, and I always laugh at the uh, um, uh, Team America World Police and you know and and Pearl Harbor <laughs> sucks song. It's really good, you know. Um, I love that movie. I, we, you know what, you know that's what we need to do one on Pearl Harbor one day. That's what we got to do. Oh we God, could, no, because I don't want to watch the fucking thing. Have you watched it before? God, no. Oh, dude, I've you gotta watch it. I've oh, seen sections of it. I've seen sections of it. You know, and those sections be, were enough. There's a there's a there's a thing that my buddies and I used to do. We would go to a movie and it would be really really terrible, like that really terrible um, uh, uh, Kiss of Death or whatever, or the one the remake of the Robert Wagner movie back from the fifties that they remade with. Um, oh God, who's the guy? Matt D- Matt Dillon. They oh, uh, Kiss the Before Dying. Yeah, a kiss before dying, and and I remember getting about a third of the way through the film, <clears throat> and I was already really irritated and really mad. <laughs> and my buddies are, we already had the system. We would lean forward to each other in the dark, and somebody'd be smiling, and we'd go, "Let's rag on it," and that's all we do for the rest of the film. <laughs> While the film was running, we would just start ragging on it, and. And I think that we you got to take you got to watch Pearl Harbor and then we have to just 
tear into it. Just tear into the thing. Okay. All right. All right. But, I but tell anyway, you what. So, we'll, we'll make tentative plans for that to happen, so no problem. It'll be War of the Gargantuas 3. <laughs> uh, so anyway. Um, well, listen, but, listen, listen. But let's go um, back to what we were talking final, about. Yeah, final thoughts. Let's, let's wrap up the discussion of how terrible Independence Day and then try to segue into the next segment, okay? All right. Here's an interesting thing. I would never tell anybody not to watch Independence Day. I oh, would I wouldn't never, either. I, wouldn't I would either. say I would say watch it. Realize it's incredibly stupid, and watch the uh, special effects. If somebody comes in and edits out the unnecessary characters, you'll shorten it by about thirty to forty-five minutes. <laughs> um, yeah. I would love that. I would actually enjoy the film. I think a bit if 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 it was edited out. If all this unnecessary. Stuff was edited out. I really uh, – the part where it becomes intolerable, unfortunately, is right near the end when you think they've gotten past their stupidity. And um, uh, Quaid uh, does his whole big, uh, incredibly stupid monologue. And even the people that love the film didn't, didn't, didn't clap or cheer during that. That theater was packed when I saw it, and everybody just kind of was dead quiet when he was oh, yelling. Oh, yeah, because yelling. it's a stupid fucking scene. It's really bad. It's really bad. I've seen scenes in film where they do comedy at certain moments to, to go, wow, I wasn't expecting that. And this man, I think there's, a, there's still radioactivity from the Steven Spielberg fallout of his balance between humor and drama at the same moments in movies like Raiders or Poltergeist where humor and yeah. horror, are, you get away with it both at the same time. But even he is tripped up. I've seen Spielberg do things that, aren't, that isn't funny. But these guys actually think that the jokes that they're saying are funny, and all they are is old and obnoxious. Agreed. I completely agree. My final word on Independence Day is you're right. I would not discourage someone from seeing it if they're interested. If you want to see the film, I think there are things worth seeing, just the special effects, essentially. But I would also try to dial down someone's expectations going in so that maybe they might enjoy it more than average. I don't think that a, a rational thinking adult should consider Independence Day a good movie. Maybe they can consider it a fun one. That's about it. Yeah, it's it's yeah, we don't like it. <laughs> we don't <laughs> I think like we've it. Made that clear. This movie would make a great eight millimeter Ken film that you used to buy at the store. <laughs> think about it. You know what yeah, parts they're going to yeah. show? Well, They're going to I mean, show like a couple of seconds of people, and the rest of it's going to be people running effects. from the, the special effects, the cool parts, like Ken, yeah. those old Ken 8mm uh, movies used to do. That In that format, it would be probably one of the best Ken films ever made. You may be completely correct. As a matter of fact, um, if I were to do a fan edit of this movie, uh, I can't fix the shitty dialogue, but at <laughs> least I could cut it down. Yeah. It's yeah. it's like uh, you remember uh, the first time I ever ran across a fan edit was when someone was trying to fix the Phantom Menace, and uh, <laughs> uh, there's no way to fix it. But right. what you could do, and what this editor did, was he cut out as much of the shitty stuff as he could. Yeah. And in that edit, the movie was almost tolerable. Yeah. I think. How about, how about this? How about if you took. The it took Independence Day and almost this is almost blasphemous. The things that we hate about the the worst parts of 1950s science fiction movies when they didn't have an actual microphone outside. They were and so they did overdubbing or yeah. they explore or a narrator explain. Do Independence <laughs> oh, Day. Yeah. 
do Independence Day as if it's a, a, a news documentary. And you can just throw out everything <laughs> and explain. You could be the narrator. It's like what that, no, that horrible we tsunami. We resurrect Raymond Burr. We have him come in, much like the American version of the original Godzilla, and we film new footage of him, even in a wheelchair. I don't care. Just explaining <laughs> what's going on so we can eliminate as much of the dialogue as possible. And maybe we could get a decent film out of this thing. You know, now you're getting silly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there would be a way to boil this thing down to its essence, which is really uh, the one thing to back on a positive note was the ending, the special effects we were talking about. When I saw the the skyscrapers being destroyed, that first black, the only thing I could think of was old uh, pulp magazines like Amazing Stories and Wonder Tales and all yeah. all that stuff. And that's what I went to the theater thinking I was going to see. All the way through, and you did see a, a you know, the special thing, but the other parts hurt it so bad that I've never been able to say I like the film, and that's Let's, that's travesty. Yeah, it's, it's terrible. I mean, if you can accept a movie where Will Smith's character magically knows where uh, yeah. someone is without yeah. any information whatsoever. You are not paying attention, and and he just happens to pick up the 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 she just happens to run into the first lady who also yeah. happens to be at the same base. It's so it's a plot load contrivance. Of, Thy name is it, Independence Day. Look, there's times that we've seen that in films, and I've even had it said before. There's sometimes people. I mean, I've had things happen in my life that that the math of it adding up makes no sense. You run into somebody you needed to see that particular day for that particular reason. Reason. And yeah. it, it, it does happen in real life. But when you it's kind of like that perfect sunset that if you painted it, people would say that's not possible. You didn't really. See. I've seen skies that are so beautiful that if I were to actually paint it, they would say that's just too corny. <laughs> well, it's this it's sort of like this. This is so corny that Will Smith g g grabs a helicopter and finds a girlfriend who just happens to have the wife of the president, the first lady, and they just happen to go back to the same hidden base. Yeah. As is like, Oh my God. It's kill me. Kill coincidence me. after coincidence, <laughs> after bad joke, after stupid line of dialogue, after stereotypical idiocy. I hate this film. Mm. I don't think you've made yourself clear. <laughs> well, I tell you what, let's uh, let's take a quick break yep. and uh, we'll come back and we'll discuss a movie we both like a lot more. A lot more. Yeah. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Oh, necrophilia. Oh, oh. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, Prudes. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could it's get out of it. unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this movie. 
Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept Little history all yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you, you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped from watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was How did you watch this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. Prepare for a spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Hear your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to the discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival, Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Kid Radio. Like a giant hubcap. December of 1996, the world got to see what I consider to be a, a great film, a bizarre film, a film that could only have been made by one mad man. That'd be Tim Burton, of course. Mars mm-hmm. Attacks. Mm-hmm. It If Hollywood, this happens a lot in Hollywood. It's happened a few times where different projects are being made at the same time and come out in the same year or very close to one another. And they're right. so close in uh, subject matter that you almost wonder if there was some kind of bizarre coordination. But if you know anything about Hollywood, it's usually the opposite. They don't want this kind of thing to happen. Uh, mm-hmm. You saw the year where you had, uh, in 1989, you had Deep Star Six, Leviathan, and The Abyss. Uh, well, that so was on one, purpose. That was on that When they heard Jim's, Jim Cameron was doing... 
uh, uh, the Abyss, everybody immediately thought because of his previous films that he was doing something really horrific that was going to be on the ocean floor. And in, in reality, it went the other way. Uh, yeah. These other films tried to cash in on that, and uh, basically they 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 tried to capitalize on what Cameron was getting ready to do. And we basically got two steaming absolute piles of shit. <laughs> yes. Yes, we did. I hate those films. I, Deep Star Six at least admitted it was cheap, and there was a few moments I liked at the time. I watched it again about a year ago, and I went, no, it doesn't hold up. The stuff that was funny at the time or interesting and stuff like that at the time is now bad, and then and then uh, Leviathan. I recently, just last garbage. year, rewatched Leviathan, and my Ugh. God, that's a terrible film. It's it's the things it's the thing you dread. It's like you know you're in the middle of a movie that's got a ton of money through. I think it had a twenty million dollar budget at the time, which was a lot. But it had it. it you, you're watching this thing, and it's like it's a really bad rip off of the thing or Alien or it's a combination. Alien of period. Yeah, they. Oh, God, oh it's, it's just you're but just like at any rate, please at any rate. kill me. Yeah. So we anyway, could, we, we, we could we could talk about well, 1989. Doing, I honestly, I honestly think with the film that we were just talking about with Independence Day and this, this just happened to be a coincidence because they are so different from each yes. other. I think that the driving force behind uh, Tim Burton is that Tim Burton, uh, you know, picks and chooses what he wants to do, uh, not always successfully, but at in the earlier days, to me, he had more hits than misses. Agreed. Uh, with uh, with uh, with things like, well, to me, one of the great films is his 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 easily his greatest film is Ed Wood. Uh, but um, I would agree with that. I would also put uh, Big Fish up next to it. Big Fish, I didn't care that much for it. It was weird. I don't know okay. why. I remember watching it, but I'm not. I, but you know what? I watched it one time. That was a long time ago. I said I got to go back and revisit that one. And we can talk about this, and people can deny, deny, deny if they want to. But that Batman movie. Movie at the time was a hit, and it was the beginning of this next wave. I thought Christopher Reeve's Superman was going to bring on the wave of superhero films, and those that came after that were terrible. Usually, these little low-budget things. But the Batman, yeah, nobody wanted to spend the money. Yeah. Nobody wanted to spend the money, and they kicked off the this 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 second wave or this this an actual full-blown wave of superhero films, um, taking a regular man and putting him in a specialized suit, which seems believable nowadays. And now a lot of people do it that way. A lot of people, their superheroes aren't these super gigantically muscled guys. They're very well built. And then they put more armor on them because Batman, if he leaps out in front of a bunch of people, if you shoot at him, he's going to die. I mean, this whole thing of him in the comics, getting away, leaping through the, in between the bullets or whatever it is that he does people, you can't buy that anymore. We're, we're in a day and age where guns spew too many bullets and within a second. Yeah. Um, uh, so he did that. Uh, of course there was the early ones, Pee Wee, Beetlejuice, um, and, and I always thought he was very clever. It, it reminded me a lot of the kind of weird comics that we used to read as kids, even with anything from Mad Magazine to uh, old Halloween cartoons and things like that. He was heavily, heavily indoctrinated into that kind of stuff. And well, uh, it's I know- clear that Tim Burton is a monster kid. Yes. Absolutely. He loves well, he loves this stuff. His favorite films are are three of them that I know for certain he put in his top five was uh, Dracula AD seventy two, Omega Man, and War of the Gargantuas. And I can't remember the other two right off the top of my head, but that he actually I actually heard him spew out that list, and that looks like Tim Burton. I mean, in fact, yeah. even in that terrible Dark Shadows uh, movie that he made, uh, um, yeah. uh, Eva Green drives up in the same car that Heston used in Omega Man playing um, a Summer's Place. 
fist like he did at the beginning of the film. I thought that was funny. <laughs> That's about where the movie for me was entertaining, and then the movie went into completely into the toilet, completely. Tim Burton has, does not have as many successes with me artistically as he used to. There's a lot of times I watch what he does, and and I go, wow, it's it's CGI infested. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't get the warmth that I used to get. Um, I didn't dislike Sweeney Todd. I thought that was interesting. I thought that, was that was a good was, film. I like that. I thought it was nervy, and 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 I don't I don't think his day is done. I think I haven't seen Big Eyes yet. I, I haven't either. Isn't that, that weird? But, I hear but, it's up there it, with uh, Ed Wood and um, Big Fish as part of you know kind of a an unofficial trilogy of that kind you know kind of realistic stuff. serious things with whimsical touches and I don't know. Yeah. I think I think he needs to. I would like to see him. This is going to sound terrible. I'd like to see him lose his 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 budgets. I would like to see him lose his budgets and be forced to make things that that, that he makes for uh, on a, almost an independent budget. Because I think when he does that, he still shines through, and we're not inundated. I never I, I watched tried to watch the Alice Alice in Wonderland movies. Oh, it's um, terrible. Yeah, I will say this. I will give him a little bit of defense. People really hate. Um, uh, his version of Willy Wonka, but the family of Roald Dahl said that his interpretation was much closer to I love it. Roald Dahl's book, and yet, and yet, um, the I never was a fan. I've never been a fan of 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 Willy Wonka. I never was a fan of the Gene Wilder movie. There's oh, wow. moments in that I like. I, I now, now hate I, you. You can okay. We're done. Wow, I'm I'm kind of surprised by that because to me, I looked at it and I was like, I, it was just like it was a hateful movie. It was like rotten little kids I didn't want to watch getting turned into big grapes and rolled out of the room and and everything. For me, now I have gone all, back. It's all Gene Wilder. It's his charm, and Let, he's the center of the film. And right. you know, there's you know there are three great characters, three good people in the movie, but mm-hmm. you're not sure if that third character is good until the last few minutes of the film. And that's of course, Willy Wonka, right. you know, Charlie is, you know, his grandfather is a good person, mm-hmm. but until the end sequence, you're not sure where Wonka falls. And that's right. one of the beauties of that, of that film is that Gene Wilder walks that razor's edge in that film. And I just, I I love it. Well, you can't not love Gene Wilder. He's amazing. Well, There's let me some- let me let me and let me let me say this, and this will make a little more sense to you. When I saw it, the movie was brand new, and I had never seen Gene Wilder. Oh, so okay. I was not used to his way. Now, having said that, I do watch the film. I watched it again with my children a few years ago, or maybe like five, six years ago, and I did like it more than I ever had. But now that I know Gene Wilder, him in the film is great. I've got no problem with that. I just, to me, I was used to Walt Disney, where there was some bad people, there were good people. You could kind of tell who was who. And in this movie, it was just seemed like we were thrown in with a bunch of assholes. Yep. Um. Uh. And and I was confused by Wilder's almost. He was almost like, is this man crazy or what? is he and i want but now knowing gene wilder and having seen all of you know so many of his films i look at it and go yeah he's great in it well uh, that's I a good the- segue though because it, it there are a lot of asshole characters in the gene wilder willy wonka film right and one of the attacks on mars attacks is mm-hmm. that there are no likable characters in the film really that yes, that is that comes up again and again when I start going through contemporary reviews of the film because the film was very poorly reviewed. It was considered a box office bomb. It barely made back its budget. Right, uh, right. it was ripped apart. I, I know more people who hate the film 
than I do who love it. And the problem with that is that, and one of the things they always cite is there were no, there were no good characters. Nobody, nobody to root for. Well, first of all, let me tell everybody listening to this that if you need someone to root for in a movie, fuck you. I'm sorry. (laughs) I, I, I don't need someone to root for in a movie. I need a good story being well told. I don't need somebody to identify with. I'm not a child. I need interesting characters doing interesting things. If you are sitting there and going, Oh, I don't really like that guy because he's a criminal. Grow the fuck up. It's a goddamn story. Fuck, yeah. I hate people with this attitude of, well, they're no likable characters. I don't have to like the characters. Well, By the way, but in even case that, you even forgot. That, I mean, Lucas case, Haas was nice. His grandmother was nice. Exactly. Now, we'll, uh, get, to that Brown, we'll get to that Jim in a minute. We'll get to nice. that in a minute. We'll get to that in a minute. There are yeah, yeah, that's yeah. just it. The the knock that there are no likable characters in the movie is bullshit. First of all, but yeah, the fact true. that that's someone's little peg they're going to hang their their criticisms on rings hollow to me because guess what? Everybody's favorite character in every fucking movie ever is the villain. And if you <laughs> like the villain, then we need to talk about this whole thing of likable characters. If you're seeing a character who's an asshole on screen and you like that character, we need to discuss your need to have a likable character in the film. Yeah. You're bringing up exactly my point, which is, no, there are likable characters in the film. There are several of them. Jim Brown, Pam Greer, their two kids, Lucas Haas, his grandmother, right there. I just named you... A host, well, not a host. Okay, a handful of likable yeah. characters, and well, the and, fact that there are only a, that a, many, corny only that characters in name. the film, corny characters in the film, like uh, Pierce Brosnan as the scientist and uh, Sarah, Sarah Jessica Parker, in a corny way, are likable. Yes, they, they haven't done anything wrong. Um, people that you're not supposed to really kind of like, uh, Michael J. Fox is is kind of a squirrely little guy who. Uh, who is all interested in ratings and is very um, <laughs> yeah. self-centered and everything? He dies pretty early in the film. Jack Black's a yeah, jerk. Yeah, but here's the uh, thing. Lucas Remember Haas's one thing. Family. Here's the weird thing about uh, Michael J. Fox's character. Yeah, he's a, a narcissistic egotist. But what does he die doing? He dies trying to S- save, save his girlfriend. Her. True, that's true. You're right. Um, I think that. Um, I, I think that the movie is done in the what. What what is the source for this film? Bubblegum okay, okay, yeah. cards. Bubblegum bubble cards. cards right. Not even a comic book. Bubblegum cards. <laughs> and so that's that's brand new. I remember trying to explain that. I mean, I, I watched it again last night with Linda, and she didn't know she didn't know that that it had come from bubblegum cards. I got to show her the artwork now. I've got the book oh, on, yeah. on the artist uh, who did them, and it's like it's like yeah. I mean, and those cards are like. There is one thing I would have loved, liked to have seen. Loved, liked to have seen. I wish the movie had been rated R and it had been as violent as the cards were. I mean, there was stuff in those yeah, cards maybe. that they couldn't film. Um, that would have been funny. Let Jack Nicholson loose too, because he was kind of hogtied in the movie to be kind of clean, so he didn't get to be his normal, normal Jack sort of self. But well, I kind of thought that's what they were going to do by having him play two characters, because I think he's pitch perfect as the president. Yeah, but in the as Art Lind, the the Las Vegas uh, hotel developer, yeah, I thought that's where things were going to get really racy or really yeah. Uh, yeah. tasteless at times. Yeah. But they don't do that. He's an well, unlikable it, character who's yeah. doing his best 
to not be a jerk to his girlfriend slash wife, but it's, um, I thought, yeah, I thought that that's kind of what they were aiming for, which is he's got to be presidential here. And of course the, the president is still a, a a narcissist (laughs) and, and, it just was well, a great character, but I did think that by having him play two roles, they were going to go in that direction. So. Well, I heard that what what uh, what uh, you know with the success of Batman and the money that Nicholson made when Tim Burton called him up to do Mars Attacks, Nicholson said, uh, "What character you got for me?" He goes, "Well, I got I got the president here, or whatever." And he goes, "Hey, give me more. I'll I'll do other characters." Oh yeah, the the joke that Nicholson said at the time was, "I want to play all the characters." <laughs> right, and the thing is, um, I will say this: this is not a perfect film. I'm going to go oh, no. ahead. No, no, no. And go into some of the stuff that I that I didn't like about it. Um, I didn't like I didn't like uh, Nicholson's uh, real estate character. I thought they could have sawed that off. They could have gotten rid of that completely. I, um, I like Annette Bening a lot, and I think she's pretty funny in the movie, even yeah, in that. If weird they story. could have kept the Annette Bening character without the, the Art Lynn character, I would have been pretty happy. I think there would have been a way to do it, and I think it would have shortened the film a little bit. Um, the yeah. um, uh, I, I did not like – this is one thing that, that that always gets to me. It's the surreality of Las Vegas is like out of the entire earth. You want to see London in trouble. You want to see New York in trouble. You want to see Washington in trouble. It's like going to Las Vegas and have the monsters attacking Las Vegas is surreality on top of surreality. And I've never, I've never really gotten, I've never really enjoyed that aspect of movies that do that when they're, when it's, and and I kind of didn't like the fact that that, it, that that a large chunk of it was set in in Las Vegas or people leaving Las Vegas. Uh, with the with these getups on, I would have preferred to have it just be more like okay, New Yorkers or Chicagoans or something like that that I could have I could I could relate to. I can't relate to Las Vegas. I, we don't live in Las Vegas. Well, I can I can understand where you're coming from, but I think there were probably two reasons why they set it in Las Vegas. Is one, mm-hmm. of course, what Burton is playing with here, lovingly, of course, is all those 1950s science fiction films that he loves and we love. And sure. the vast majority of those were set in the American Southwest and the desert. True, and so true. You replicate the col- that because that's, yeah, right. Well, they also destroyed that building in real life. That was an actual detonation. Yeah. And so, hey, we got a building that's actually going to get destroyed. Let's do it. I, the only thing I wonder about was that sphere actually up in there because it looks so damn real. That globe <laughs> when it rolls out there, I thought, does that really? Did they? put that in the demolition or is that digitally put in or whatever? I don't know, but it was well done. Now, well, you know, the, the other thing, the second reason I think of, you said it in Las Vegas is for the effect that you're describing, which is that Las Vegas is already a, a strange enough looking place to begin with. It's all, you know, all neon it's out in the desert. You don't have to go very far to suddenly be out in nothingness. And I think right. that, uh, you know, that you have the big clear sky. It's, it, I think that there's, the, the reason f- for doing it is the reason you're citing for kind of not liking it. And that's mm. just a, that's just a taste or a tone thing, which is, yeah. you know, whatever. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't ruin the film for me in, in any yeah. way, shape or form. Um, I think that there's some actors, there's some characters that are just kind of thrown in there for name recognition. Danny DeVito doesn't help the movie any, um, they, no, they no, talk about, but I don't mind him being there. And right. it's, it's kind of, uh, it's, it's, it's a, I guess it's a, a little extra pepper, and that's about as far as it goes. Yeah. Um, the uh, well, uh, we could we could talk about Pam Greer and Jim Brown all day long, and I'll be very happy. 
Well, that's the thing. To them, to uh, to me, they're kind of the backbone of the film in terms of its morality. Yes. Um. Uh. She's great. Anyway, I love Pam Greer. She's Pam awesome. Pam Greer is okay. Remember earlier I said uh, someone was inching toward being a national treasure. Uh-huh. She has been since the seventies. Yeah. She's amazing, and yeah. her effortless normal person character she's so good in this normal person character role that she's wonderful she's a mom she's a bus driver she's got two kids to raise yes she's divorced from her husband but they still have a good relationship because of the children it's it's wonderful it's okay all of the all of the things about her character and jim brown's character are all told to you in dialogue you get it all through conversation between the two of them yeah. And it's well written. It's the kind of thing that gives you a background to these characters without giving you a, a, a printed bio of their relationship. It gives you what they're like. Yeah, it's you know one thing that's interesting too is the scene with uh, Jim Brown and Jack Nicholson in the limo, with him trying to convince uh, Jim Brown to go bust somebody's leg or something for yes. money that's owed him. That's a good is scene, that and it's would, one reason oh, why I would retain the Art Lynn character because that's mm-hmm. a good scene that gives you even more about what kind of guy Jim Brown's character is. Well, the thing is, is that is that you're somebody tells you okay, you're going to do a limo scene and you're going to do it with Jack Nicholson. Now, that would seem intimidating as it is, but the better acting by the two of them in the vehicle is Jim Brown. I think that he actually, when he's sitting there listening to Nicholson and realizing what's being asked of him, and he says, I'm just not doing it, he he underplays it so much. And then, of course, there's the joke in there where, you know, Nicholson says, oh, you gave up pork. I mean, it's like (laughs) – I mean, it's really it's funny, but the thing is, is that the more sincere performance, of course, between the two, because Nicholson's doing comic book there, is is Jim Brown, and he's a he's he's a very grounded, very believable character through the whole film. That's what he I is. liked about. He is. I, um, that, what's that's fun- what's so amazing about the movie is that yeah. it's a big freaking cartoon. It's all it is. Is honestly the whole reason the film exists. The whole reason there's an exclamation point at the end of the title is. It's a big, fun spectacle. They're telling you that going in. It's a big cartoon. And at the heart of the film is the Jim Brown character. Sure. And he's completely understandable and completely relatable, and you care about him. Yeah, he reminds me of, like, your dad. He'd be like your dad. The guy that he's playing. And I think that's part of the the character, but he reminds you of what your dad would do if if he was in a situation like that. The thing is, is that this movie, uh, oddly enough, we haven't been talking about what really makes this movie where 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 it really zings and sings, but you said it yourself. The opening ends up with an exclamation point. But they use the logo from the original Bubblegum Cards, yes, the Mars Attacks logo, and and the music by Denny Elfman with those thousands of flying saucers coming towards <laughs> the planet is an absolute joy. It's funny because it starts off. Of course, we start off with the burning cattle. You know, obviously, cattle are always being mistreated by aliens for some stupid reason. I don't know why. And that's right out of one of the cards. And, yeah, they did. They burned the they burned the cattle up in the in one of the cards. But the thing is, is that when you start seeing those saucers lifting off from Mars, and then that 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 almost Russian sort of uh, you know uh, hunt for Red October sort of march starts up. <laughs> Trump, 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 
Trump, here we come. And then all of a sudden you start seeing more of them and more of them. And, and finally, you know, Tim Burch is like, this. put as many on the screen as is humanly <laughs> yes. possible. Yes. And there's like flying in these wedge formations. And the and the cameras, you know, you know, so this is early CGI. So he's having a good time with it, with the with them, uh, with the camera rocking and rolling as long as well as the saucers. It's pretty damn fun. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Now, the movie takes a little while to get rolling like Independence Day. You've got to do the character. Some of them you're not as, as interested in. Some of them you are as interested in. But we build up to the characters. But the thing for me, this movie really starts to zing about at the, I don't know, what, 30, 45-minute mark. Because, you know, like in some of these movies, you have to pay your dues and you have to get to a certain point before the action kicks in. I mean, it depends. Unless you're Michael Bay. Well, the film has a lot of characters to set up. And so it's trying to do yeah. it as cleverly as possible and as entertainingly as possible. But, yeah, right. we've got to get all the pieces in place before we start throwing stones at them. So, yeah. Right. Now – one thing there's one thing I'll, I'll I'll disagree with you on, and you'll probably agree with my disagreement is the other people that are the the backbone of this film is Lucas Haas and his and his and his grandma. Agreed. Oh no, I completely that, agree. That's yes. the other. That's the other two. Those are the people that you want to to live, and uh, you know, spoilers, they do. But the <laughs> thing is, is that when you're when um, but when we finally get to see the Martians and you see them on television briefly, you know, communicating with her is this funny, rotten little, they're little bastards. It's the only way <laughs> sort of that I can say. And when I knew the movie was good, when I knew that I was actually watching a good movie is when one of the executives in the, in the white house was running the opposite way. And a Martian came in and shot him in the back. I'm like, okay, this is good. This is good. <laughs> I mean, they, they move around, they move like a little extra fast, uh, faster yeah. than, 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 than regular, regular people do, which if, if you really, this is, this is a comedy, so it doesn't really matter. But the science of these Martians moving around at that speed, given the fact that planet they come from is a lot smaller doesn't make sense oh it doesn't work but it, it doesn't, doesn't matter it, because but it doesn't that's matter. not dumb. what this film is aiming for this no, film is no. primarily a comedy right well when you have um you know the initial landing of the saucer and they come out uh, and and they're talking you you it really is funny to me in, in a way the way these martians play on the gullibility of the humans over and over again it's like <laughs> yes. well maybe maybe it was a mistake maybe and people start picking the lint out of their navel and start trying to figure out what what you know what actually happened but the martians come down and and everybody's like oh we we want peace and all that kind of stuff and they're all happy and that guy launches that that dove in the air and that martian just fries it and then just all anarchy breaks loose it's almost like a, a it's it's tim burton's nod to uh, george powell's war of the worlds that that moment right and just starts frying everything with these cute little pop guns bright green suits with red air tanks big helmets <laughs> and and if you have never seen the film they're, they're pretty horrendous looking martians they got giant bubble brain heads oh, with skull looking, faces yeah. in the front which is they're 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 true to the they're true to the bubblegum cards that's how they look um and you've got this this uh, they're frying everything michael j fox runs over to save sarah jessica parker and the and the uh, the you know he gets fried but you don't see him get fried it's off off screen but then you see his hand she's holding his 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 hand has been chopped off or, or is what's left of what he got fried and the little chihuahua picks it up like like a homage to yohimbo and tries to run off with the hand i know it's, it's so okay. funny here's okay this film has the I can only refer to it as 
kind of a Tim Burton sense of humor, which is a very black sense of humor. Yes. There's a desire to see children pull the wings off flies, which Man. is essentially what the Martians are doing the entire time. But yeah. this film, as mean-spirited and cruel as the humor often is in it, there's so much joy in it. There's a there's a, a gleeful nastiness if that's even a phrase that should be used it's gleefully nasty and the moment when i knew the film was probably not gonna miss a step and not gonna go wrong in any way was when they start frying humans and the skeletons are all that's left behind and they're either bright red or bright green and i thought okay we are set because essentially they're taking this just as far as they can. It's a giant cartoon. It's also very exciting. It's yeah. funny. It's silly. And there are all these grace notes. And you just described the first grace note in the film that made me realize, oh, they're going to go all out. And that is, and it's all in one shot. When yeah. Michael J. Fox's hand gets picked up by that little dog and carried away. It's all in one shot. Her hand comes into into screen holding his hand. That's all that's left of him. Yeah. She drops it, and then the dog walks into frame, grabs it, and walks out. It's all one shot. It's not yeah. editing. They yeah. work their asses off to get that weird little sick joke into the scene. I yeah. love it. Well, that's that, that's the way the whole movie is. It's a black comedy. It, it, it never takes itself seriously. Absolutely no. not. As a matter of fact, it's far from it. It's ludicrous comedy. But it but it it does have this thing where if the Martians – I don't know. There was something about it to where the way the Martians were handled, I was totally enthralled with their, their, their little angry little pricks. It's That's all they are. <laughs> they're nasty, but they're brightly lit. And there's like the one scene where they try to they try to take out the president with uh, Lisa Marie in the in the Martian disguise yeah. or whatever, the disguise of this, of this woman. But when they get so mad and all of a sudden – it switches back inside the ship, and the one Martian who's naked walks up, and all of a sudden this thing stamps a a uh, a, 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 space a space suit on him. And then the next one walks up and stamp and stamp. It's like a processor, and then they switch over to that giant robot with those claws. And I'm like, ah, yes. oh, now we're talking. And, oh, it's uh, so much fun. There, there's some there. It's it's like no, you're not supposed to take this movie seriously. Yes, no. it's stupid. Yes, it's very very stupid. But it's it's all meant to be that way. I think that's that's one of the the things is that you can actually point this to a uh, for a five year old. It's funny. This is the light comedy one, and yet you can show a five year old Independence Day. But I don't know at first if you can show a five year old this one. Uh, I showed it to James when he was pretty little, and he didn't understand some of the black humor. Right. He didn't get it, but he loves the movie now. He's got a copy of it at home. He bought it. But uh, well, the thing is, I think that this is a movie built for someone who's a teenager or older. In other words, you've got to be you've got to be of a certain maturity or immaturity to get the humor in it, res- you respect it, understand it and kind of let it fold into the story being told instead of it just standing out and you being what is that? What is the you know, just being curious about it without understanding it. Yeah. And yeah. Independence Day is pitched at the level of a of a, a single digit aged human being and is only really enjoyable on that level. Whereas if you think about Independence Day, it all falls apart. But if you think about Mars Attacks, you realize that it's it's built to just make you laugh. It's built to be an homage to all those older movies, to make fun of the conventions of them, while at the same time clearly loving them and hoping that you do too. 
And yeah. I think that's part of the problem with this film for a large segment of the of the world's population is that this is not built to be a wide audience film. This was not built to be enjoyed by the maximum number of people. This is a quirky movie. Yeah. Quirky is what Tim Burton is. Right. And this was if if these these two movies we're talking about here are mirror opposites. They're 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 completely different. They tell and they tell the same story. Alien invasion, disaster, near apocalyptic, the humans finally defeat the invaders, yay. They tell yeah. that story. Yeah. One of them is trying to be deadly serious and just tripping over its own dick. The other yeah. is trying to be anything but serious and is just winking at you the whole time going, ain't this fun? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, there's a lot of, um, energy to the movie. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of moments where you actually have to catch yourself. Now I went and saw it with two buddies who absolutely were in tune. The second that, that, that we saw the initial attack in the, uh, in the desert and then again in the White House and Congress. I mean, yeah. we were laughing the whole time. I mean, it was like, yes, we, we know what we're in the middle of and we left the we left the theater quite satisfied. It's like, yeah, Tim Burton pulled out pulled out something. Because I remember when I first heard that Mars Attacks was being made as a film and then I heard it was being made as a comedy, I went, Oh no. But in the end, I, I it's funny because he then tried it again later with Dark Shadows and failed miserably. But he said at the time he goes, I felt the only way that this could actually be made was as a comedy and i think he might be right i might get I'll, I, I might give him that one somebody could do it but i don't know with the with the pop guns and the space suits and the big bubble heads you couldn't do that as a drama now and get away with it i don't think you know i don't, I don't think i don't think you could at all and i don't think you could have in 96 either yeah I, and i and i and so i i give him his is is he was smart he was smart to do it that way um you have um, beautiful visuals in this film that, that that do run the line, and he is faithful in so many ways to the cards, and at the same time, he's faithful to his own, the way he interprets things. It still looks like the cards, and it still looks like Tim Burton. Yes. Um, I'm trying to think of what happened after, after the attack on... Uh, on the on the White House, which is brilliant, Nancy. Uh, I was going to say Nancy Reagan, but um, Glenn Close is awesome. It's, it's, it's the a, Nancy Reagan chandelier, chandelier that takes her out because you can tell she's supposed to be a Nancy Reagan type. Just oh, yeah. you know, but I won't get into that. Um, she. Uh, By the way, just, was yeah. Natalie Portman ever cuter than in this film? Um, yeah, she's always been she's always been a terrific actress and stuff, and and here she is in this film. I will say this: she is completely underused in this film, but I don't think she was as big. She's much yeah. more famous now, so you can kind of forgive it at the time. They were throwing actors at this movie, and um, uh, she was one of those like Danny DeVito. I felt that was probably kind of underused or whatever. Um, once again, talk about surreality: the fact that they bring Tom Jones into this film. You know, oh, but, yeah, but before we get to Tom Jones, oh, okay. who's I always, always love to have Tom Jones. And by the way, this means that we've uh, our last two podcasts together have had a Tom Jones Connector. connection. Tom Jones Thunderball. connects. Yep, yep, yep. Well, Tom here's Jones the thing. Tom Jones the center of the universe. He may well be, and I have no problem with that. Uh, here's, a, here's, here's one of the things that I love is that, yeah, this, this film has a huge cast. And almost everybody gets a really good role, a chance to shine. And mm -hmm. some of the surprises in that and going back and rewatching it again is how much I enjoyed 
all of the stuff that Martin Short does because he's uh-huh. great in this as this he's smarmy slimy, PR he's guy. Slimy though, God, he is so slimy in this. Exactly. I actually dislike. I know that Martin. I dislike the very character, funny. but I love what he's doing. He's good. He's very, very good. He's gonna. Now, this is the scene that a lot of people really loved. If you're into kitsch, um, and I think that this actress, I wish that she was bigger and more famous. And oddly enough, I don't know if she is now, but at one point in time, she was Jeff Goldblum's uh, girlfriend. Who? Uh, Lisa Marie. Oh well, at the uh, time she was dating um, well, at Tim the time Burton. She was dating Tim Burton, and then Helena Bonham Carter did usual Helena Bonham Carter stuff and broke up another relationship. Mm-hmm. But um, she is she she was with Burton for a while. She was with him with Sleepy Hollow, uh, and Ed and some, some of the other films and Ed Wood and all that kind of stuff. And she was an ex- she is an extremely talented woman. She's also very beautiful in her own in her own unique sort of way. She's an extremely yep. beautiful woman, but she's willing to to do. What's the word I'm looking for? Sort of like almost like the way Eva Green is. They're willing to put in the physical labor to 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 play their characters, and yes. there's a yes. lot of actresses. They will, they will attempt to metamorphosize themselves. Well, but they'll do weird stuff. They'll they'll flop around on the floor. They'll yeah. they'll 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 get covered in in mud. They'll they'll crawl through you know a, a, a war zone. I mean, it's a, it's a man. And Lisa Marie does physical acting and and. Uh, she in this one, she's she's really good at it, playing this yes. weird sort of seductive-looking shell woman thing that Martin Short um, uh, takes back to the White House to the quote-unquote hidden Kennedy room with the with the uh, <laughs> really bad-looking, really bad-looking uh, uh, furnishings and all that kind of stuff. It's the and, hidden bachelor pad. <laughs> but she goes in and she. Um, she goes in there with this weird. Uh, he picks her up, brings her back to the to the White House, and she's she's very weird looking, giant bouffant hairdo, massive, which of course is very suspicious. And she's got this ring with this eyeball on it, which kind of is almost a weird <laughs> sort of throwback to Invasion of the Saucermen with their hand, their eyeball on their hand, on the back I of their know, hand. And then finally, when he gets a little too close, she ends up. You know, she's chewing this gum, which turns out to be like a nitrogen thing that she's actually breathing. He puts his finger in her mouth to get the gum out. She bites it off and spits it in the fish tank. It floats down. And what happens? <laughs> the fish start eating on it. I know. I'm Another gonna... little grace note. Are you interested in the White House? I work there. I'm the press secretary. My name's Jerry Ross. Maybe you've heard of me? You wouldn't believe the pressure of my job. It's nice to see a new face. Hey, um... Are you doing anything? Because if you want, I, I could give you a personalized tour. Would you like that? Hey, Mitch, it's me. Can you let me in? Oh, hello, Mr. Ross. Sure. We're just a little nervous around here after what happened to Congress. Exactly. 
Many great men and women have passed through here. Now we're passing through here. It feels good, don't it? You're very graceful. I like that. It's just funny. It's it's funny. And I remember the first time I, uh, the whole time I the first time I ever watched this film, I'm you're you're riding on a razor's edge when you watch this film. Nowadays I can watch it and maybe not even laugh as much because I already know the joke so well. Yeah. But the first time you're watching, you're like this guy is riding a fine line between something horrific and something that's funny and he gets away with it because what he does is he adds insult to injury not only does she bite your finger off and spit it it goes in the fish <laughs> tank and the fish is now enjoying it or the little dog goes up and picks up the hand and walks off with it. they don't give a damn it's like not only did you die or are you about ready to die but you're but you're also like humiliated in your death you're such a you know and so it, it makes it's it not makes only it, it's not only that the world doesn't give a shit about you i'm going to make sure you know the world doesn't give a shit about you before you die yeah and um and so what what happens she kills martin short with a with a statue she conks him on the head goes over and her main thing is we find out she's a martian dressed up and goes into the uh into the uh white house the main bedroom where nicholson and glenn close are sleeping and she pulls that that head off that lisa marie head and there's a martian under there with this got this neat little <laughs> little pocket bag this little purse or whatever opens it up and there's a collapsible ray gun in there and what happens what do you do now this is one thing that oh this is one thing i really wanted to talk about in independence day little snuffer is there the entire city is being destroyed i mean there's, the dog the dog yeah uh. the the, look, the city is being wiped out. Babies in the in the maternity ward are being destroyed at that moment. Ch- mothers holding their children are being destroyed. People, infants, dogs all over the city are being are wiped being out at a moment. Are being incinerated. Are being incinerated. And there's old Snuffer. And because we're seeing it on the screen, and she goes, Woofer, Snuffer, whatever the hell your name is. And the dog leaps through the before the blast hits. And we'll go, Whew. well, at least the dog made it. That's a load of crap. In this movie, the Martian the walks in. Insulting moments. Oh, in it was just film. stupid. And 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 the and the dog. I mean, it's like kill the dog. Prove to me these guys are bad guys. Fry the dog. Well, Tim Burton in his comedy, the dog wakes up, barks once, and gets incinerated by the <laughs> by, yes. by the Martian. I was like, yeah, I didn't get away with it. And then grabs Nicholson and all that stuff. That was just a very funny it scene. It perfectly demonstrates you. You're putting your Even finger on the, the perfect demonstration of the differences between these two films. One thinks you're stupid. One thinks you're smart. Yeah. Mars Attacks thinks that you're smart enough to be amused by something that's obviously a sick joke. In other words, we're intelligent and mature enough to have fun with these sick jokes. Independence Day thinks you're a goddamn child who will only understand something if it's in black and white. You go, you go to the restaurant, they put the plate in front of you, and you're in the mood for some some hot sauce. You put the hot sauce on there, and you go, mm, that made it even that much better. And that's what this is, is that Burton is going like, look, this is going to have a little edge to it. It's going to have a little – you're going to have a little hot sauce on with the, with this one. And when they, they kill the dog, not only that, he grabs Jack Nicholson, and it's like it's still got the dress on, got the bubble head, got the little <laughs> – 
purse, walks him out in the hallway, and the parakeet goes tweet, tweet, fries the parakeet. And when they finally do blow blow the Martian away, which is a really great scene, Nicholson gets up. He's got gunk hanging all off of his face and everything yes. like that. It was just a great scene, and it was pretty action-packed, too. Burton oh, it's exciting do- as hell. It's yeah. suspenseful, and then it's funny, and then it's disgusting. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, by the way, uh, you'll be interested to know. I don't know if you've. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of this film or not, but Lisa Marie has a really good role in a film that came out just last year called uh, "We Are Still Here." It's okay. a horror film. You can uh, catch it on Netflix. It. Uh, I don't want to praise it too highly. I want you to go in and just watch it if you can. Okay. It's really good. It's a. And it's, it's a on haunted Netflix. house slash ghost story. It's on Netflix. Yes. Um, now I will. I will warn you that this won't be something that'll turn you off of it. But uh, it's a haunted house ghost story with a really good cast: Barbara Crampton, uh, Larry oh, okay. Fessenden. It's very good. Uh, but uh, the um, final act gets very violent. There's a lot of blood. No, that doesn't. And the, and the film builds well perfectly to care. it. But I, Lisa Marie is in it, and she's still great. Yeah, she's 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 terrific. I always thought, why did Tim Burton dump her? I, I just don't understand it. She seems like she's very, she's per, she was perfectly attuned to be with him in in her own way. And well, I don't it know. turns out Helena Bonham Carter may be as well. <laughs> so. Well, it, what they're married now? They've been together. I'm not sure if they're married, but they I think they may be. Well, I think I mean, I they've been together I, for 15 I, years I, I, now. I, I do like Helena Bonham Carter as an actress, but that whole thing, there was Kenneth now and uh, oh, the great actress. Um, I can't remember her name. Oh, escaping um, me. Um, oh, terrific actress. Adapted I feel the Sense and Sensibility. Hey, we have to cut this part. It. As soon as we come up with the name, just drop it in because we're not going to be standing here looking <laughs> this stupid. She's a great actress. She was. She actually started off doing goon humor. First time I saw her was on The Young Ones on, on MTV. Emma Thompson. Emma Thompson, who I absolutely love in She's Remains brilliant. of the Day. She's she's fant- she's a fantastic actress. Yes, and uh, apparently she kind of got in between Kenneth Branagh and Emma Thompson, and and, yeah. and messed up their their relationship, and then was it seemed like it happened a couple of times. I'm like, really, is that what you do? Go around messing up people, you know, getting in the way of people. But anyway, that's well, I, I'm, well, I, I we'll can't see. comment on that kind of thing because I, I I don't know enough about those relationships and what was going on. <laughs> it just seems like a pattern. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm full of it. Knows, I don't know. Who knows? I just to me it just seemed like that was that was the pattern I was getting, but. Anyway, so um, the, the the film overall is very is very playful, but it's dark at the same time. Yes, um, I, I think that um, it the, the, there's visual images in this movie you just do not get. You got little Cub Scouts trying to walk back and forth in front of the in front of the Washington Monument and yes. the flying saucer that's already destroyed it, the lower half, so it would smack the kids. The kids run one way, the saucer comes over and nudges the Washington Monument to fall on them, then they run back the other way and finally and, nudge it to where it does slam on the kids. What, what thing kills a troop full of little Cub Scouts? I then know, kill great, the kids. That's something that you're supposed to never do, and this film gleefully goes out of its way to do so. Well, the thing is... Um, uh, then there's the scene inside the old folks' home where these Martians have got this gigantic, freaking huge ray gun pointed at the back of the head of this little old lady listening to music, <laughs> and it's like it's overkill. And they're like, and they're like, well, like, hey, come here, let's yeah, watch. They're let's like watch this. kids. The little Martians yeah, are like kids. Go, oh, this is gonna be good. Come here. And this is Sylvia Sidney, who had been in movies for decades. Yeah. Um, she was back. I remember one of the earliest films I saw her in was uh, Saboteur, the uh, uh, the Hitchcock film. 
the uh, or no uh, sabotage i believe it was with um uh or i could be wrong <laughs> one of those Hitchcock, early hitchcock <laughs> films where she was the, the 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 leading lady in the film and it, she was really sweet in this movie when you could see even at the end of the film when lucas haas says is my grandma she almost starts to cry yeah it's like this woman's got acting chops i mean she's really could, good she's really good at it. but Let's get to the mo- single most important element of this entire film, and that's the Slim Whitman record. <laughs> They're going to blow thought, her away. I thought you were going to say the Ray Harryhausen homages, but okay. The, but the uh, the um, yeah, there's a lot of Earth versus the Flying Saucers action going on in this movie, and that scene where you see the uh, when you see Big Ben blow up is just magnificent. I remember that. I remember seeing pictures of the miniature of that, and it's one of those big what they call a big miniature. Yeah, that thing was colossal that they blew up. Um, they well, they build them. They build them as big as they can so that they can get as much detail in there, and so when it comes apart, it looks accurate to what unlike unlike movies like wild wild planet where the uh where everything looks like a toy and they dumbly photograph it from the from a sky point of view which makes it look even smaller or it's like agreed agreed i still love that i still love that movie but yeah you're right it's a a big difference in how to how to photograph miniatures yeah I saw it at the theater when I was five years old, and I was freaked out by it. But um, yeah. here's here's one where you do have a big-budget film, or at least at the time a big-budget film where they screw that up, and that's Logan's Run. The shots of the inside of the Dome City were were really bad. The water oh, they was, look like miniatures, yeah. Oh, the water's rippling, and you can tell it's like a bathtub-sized pond there, which is supposed to be this ocean or this large lake. But anyway, the – so the Martians are going to go blow away Grandma. We're back to Mars attacks. They're going to blow her away, and they're giggling. She turns her head back and disconnects the cord from the headset that she's listening to that's plugged in the stereo, and there's a Slim Whitman album playing where he is yodeling. Now, one thing you have to understand, that cover and that album are real. That yeah. Was real. Oh, yeah. My dad bought that. He, My dad was from Texas, or actually from Oklahoma, and he every once in a while liked to hear the the real kind of cowboy cowboy music. He loved Roy Rogers. He loved uh, Sons of the Pioneer. And when that album came out, uh, you know, he bought it. And I remember seeing it. It's like the ugliest cover I've ever seen on an album. <laughs> it was like that weird orangey flesh colored background that they had cut his photograph out and stuck it on. It's like, wow, could you guys have made a worse cover? Um, one of those, uh, one of those ones you could buy off the TV. I don't know if it was KTEL or something like that, something like that, but she pulls the cord and, and all of a sudden the sonic vibration of him yodeling or whatever starts blowing up the Martian's head. And there's all the green crap going all over the place. Oh, Which, and I, I'll be, I love the, the, the first moment the Martian head explodes. I still to this day just think that is perfect. That's a, that's the scanners in a bowl moment. That's <laughs> the scanner head blowing up. And you could get away with it because the monsters were so ugly. Who cares? If it had been a human and with blood, oh, yeah. with red blood, you would have had anarchy. You would have had an R rating. But man, that was funny. Oh, oh another great scene too uh, is uh, Jim Brown and them trying to get to the plane, and he stops uh, stops the Martians by going out there and getting into an actual oh, a fist was, fight. His yeah. character was an ex uh, an ex boxer, uh, heavyweight champion, and goes out there and when I like when he hits one of them. And the head has to bounce around <laughs> bounce inside the skull. And actually, it's almost yes. like they get hit like two or three times because he hits them and the head <laughs> bounces around inside the bubble. Uh, this is great because you see him do it earlier when some lady's playing uh, playing the roulette uh, – not roulette. What do you call it? The one-armed bandits or whatever. And he punches when you hear that. You hear that double boom, boom like that. Yep. Um, it's great. Um, there's a lot of and, – and, but it's like – it's funny. But then the Martians start jumping on him and it gets almost kind of – 
creepy. You know what I mean? It's a oh, weird Oh, yeah. Well, double- that's the thing. And uh, that's one of the things that um, the whole thing where he's he's trying to create a distraction so that Tom Jones and Annette Benning's character can get out on that little plane. Right. And he, he knows he's sacrificing himself. He knows that he's probably going to die when this happens. And he, he goes out there and he attracts their attention and, and kind of insults them and gets them going. Right. And that moment, I have to say, rewatching it just the other night, I felt my gut tighten up as they pull away and our, our shot is from overhead and we see yeah. all those aliens jumping on him. I felt I was like, God damn it. No, 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 no. And yeah, it's, it's it, was, it, it, it made me emotional. And I was really surprised that because I've seen the movie, I know what happens. I know he manages sure. to survive. Spoiler alert. But. It's still the the the. It angered me that those little bastards were touching Jim Brown's. <laughs> Don't touch I, there was Jim a cu- Brown, damn it! Yeah, there was a couple of things in the film that made you uh, the quirkiness of the aliens. One was the fact that they had used a little tape recorder to do the, the this fake voice that they were going to later put a better voice over, and they said, "No, we're going to use the ta- the bad tape recorder for them." Like, <laughs> eh, 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 all that. Well, you know what that sound what, is? What is it? It's the sound of a duck's quack backwards. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, they ran it, but apparently they had it in a crappy recording or whatever, and they finally said, no, let's just use it. It just works, and it does. It but does. also the speed with which they move, which is like about an, a third faster than a regular human being when they're moving real fast. They're, they're, they kind of like move. They kind of bounce. They like when they're running through the White House, they're like skittering. <laughs> yes. They're skittering in a way that the, that the Martians from uh, – or the, the monsters from Invasion of the Saucer Men could not. I mean these things were yeah. very fast. And there's even the scene with Danny DeVito where the, the Martians think him it's like a gunslinger and fries him and then flips and then spins the gun on his finger and then puts it back in the holster before Annette Benning fries it. And even then it's sort of like this real weird sort of fast moving. And I know it probably was already set up in such a way by the animation team they did it. Um, and probably said, well, that works good enough, but I think it adds to the weirdness of them. Could you imagine something like that moving through your house fast enough that at that speed, it's sort of like, it's like, it's like a roach. They're moving at the speed of a roach or something like that. Well, it's, it's also kind of terrifying because they're, they're moving faster than you would expect them to. And they're coming at you and it's relentless. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I loved their ray guns, the, both the pistols, but the big rifle ray gun. One of these days, <laughs> yes. one of these days I will take some time. Linda said to me uh, when we were watching the film, she goes, you ever going to do any artwork from this film? And I said, yeah, I, I know I will, you know, because it's just too colorful to leave alone. You know, it's just too much fun. It's but, way uh, too much fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so uh, yeah, let's, let's talk about something else. We talked about all these different actors who have these great little roles in the film and they get a chance to shine. And one that I was not expecting to shine like this. So late in his career was Rod Steiger as the general. (laughs) Yeah. He's amazing. You think you can do anything you want? Well, you can't. Because we are human beings and we have the United States Army that'll fight you to the last man and will never surrender!
you guys think you can come here and push us around? That <laughs> <laughs> was great. I, I, lo- I especially love the scene where he's like yelling at, or J- he's telling Jack Nicholson they got to do nuclear weapons, and, and Jack Nicholson yes. does like one of the most definitely somebody being told to shut up in the history of cinema. Shut yes. up! Shut up! <laughs> shut up! I mean, that just cracks me up. But it's the fact that he's yelling at Rod Steiger, who has played some of the meanest guys in film. Yes. And played some of the most intense people in film to have those two in the same room together. Uh, you could have made a film just with the two of them, uh, you know. Uh, let, oh, I you know. know. And and yeah, but he's great. I mean, I've always I've been such a huge fan of his ever since I saw Doctor Zhivago as a kid. I always thought he was amazing. Oh, Steiger know? Steiger was always amazing. It's just that it's a it's a small role. He has four or five scenes, all of them fairly short, yeah. and he's really good. He's it his his. His face twisted into disgust at the decisions being made is classic. Oh yeah, he's a he's a hawk. I've always admired your show. Really? You like my work? Yes, very much. Why? Well, thank you. Coming out of commercial in five, four, three, two. Welcome back. We're speaking with Professor Donald Kessler. He's the chairman of the American Academy of Astronautics. Professor, isn't it weird that we sent a space probe to Mars and we didn't even find anyone? Well, not really, um, Natalie, <laughs> because we didn't get into the canals. The Martian canals are actually canyons, some of them over 100 miles deep. Martian civilization has clearly developed under the surface of the planet. The science and technology must be absolutely mind-boggling. So, what in your view, Donald, Kessler, Chairman, are some of the things that the Martians can teach us, Professor? Quite a lot about Mars, I expect, Natalie. <laughs> <laughs> She's flirting with him. <coughs> but um, seriously, this is tremendously exciting. Think of it, the knowledge, the new ideas, it's going to change everything. And we must be open to it. Maybe they can tell us about our universe, how it started, where it's going, perhaps even its purpose. It's tremendously exciting. This is the most important thing to happen since Jesus walked in Galilee. Oh, Christ. Mm-hmm. What's wrong with the picture? Go to camera two. I can't. It's Would it go to one? Go to four? You just got to feel. If if you look at like Rod Steiger, I mean, you even think about in a movie like Oklahoma, where Rod Steiger, he, everything is dancing and joy and the landscape and all that kind of stuff. But the one part of the film that is really screwed up is the fact that Rod Steiger wants to give the 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 hero of the film, the star, he wants to give him a thing to look through. Which which is a ruse to to look at a pretty picture, which is going to drive a knife into his eye. Yeah, and it's like, and he play he's basically a psychopath in the middle of a musical, and 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 so there's that, and then there's you know the the, the role like in Doctor Zhivago and, and these other films, uh, No Way to Treat a Lady, that he already has a a, a fear built to him. Hell, there's even a live television broadcast of a science fiction show he did back. I think it was James Dean and him were in one uh, years ago, and it's like he's a very intimidating man. Wait, I, a, I, I'm completely unaware of this uh, science fiction story that Rod Steiger Dean, was. In. I think Dean's in it. I think it's him and him and, and James Dean. Uh, I don't know if I'll have to look YouTube. that up. Wow, Definitely. cool. I will. I will try to see if I can find out what it was. It was one of those. I think Netflix had it. 
and I don't know if they still have it. It was like one of those really early uh, semi-live science fiction shows. They'd have people on there. Paul Newman was brand new to it. They found like a spaceship in the Arctic. With, there was a one with Paul Newman, wow. real young. Okay. Uh, one with uh, Darren McGavin when he didn't have hair because he was bald in the fifties. Was and it he, like a science fiction theater? I, or something? I think it was science fiction theater. One of those. Um, they had decent actors in there doing live television at the time when like, when television was still considered a bad thing. Are they? But, uh, uh, I'm assuming uh, they're kinescopes instead of. Uh, they're kinescopes, yeah. Okay. And but but I watched every one of them. Every one of they 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 had everyone on there that was available. There's some of them that I think that were missing. But um, yeah, you ought to just watch the whole series. But yeah, okay. Steiger was in there. Uh, Dean was in it briefly, and or if he wasn't in an episode with him, it was like one that was like right next to it or something. But I, I'm pretty sure they were both in one together, and Dean was in it for a few minutes. But Steiger was kind of the. There was one you'd have to watch it for me to to say. And when you get done with it, you go, boy. That episode was very inventive, and that's the only way I know how to say it, that particular episode that Steiger was in because it was sort of a TV show within a TV show kind of thing. I don't even know how to how to describe it. And it's been, it's been six six years or so since I watched it. I'm gonna, now I'm going to go watch it again today, I guess. Yeah, but, I'm going to have um, to track that down. But you, but you, um, uh, you know, and so the the thing about him is they kind of separate you from him in Mars Attacks by the fact he's got those glasses on. And I think, you know, they did it that way. I was a little sorry he never did take his glasses off in the whole film. <laughs> even but when he's squished. Even when he's squished, yeah. They they re, they hit him with the reducing ray, and then the Martian steps on him. Now, <laughs> now here's the here's the thing. If anybody has been watching the movie Mars Attacks and does not yeah. realize how much of an homage to Warner Brothers cartoon sections of it are, the yeah. reducing ray should have done it. The reducing ray is one of them, but also too. I mean, I, you know, I, I was looking over at Linda, you know, last night when something really screwed up would happen, like the grandma with the giant ray gun behind her head, <laughs> or this, or, or the, uh, the 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 scene that is that I'm getting ready to discuss. So you don't see that you don't see this in Independence Day, where they plant a flag in the middle of the president's guts, <laughs> yes. and have it and have it have it sort of. And you think, you know, Jack Nicholson does this big resounding speech, and I thought, okay, here's this is the way we tie up the film is that we make peace with the market. No, the Martian's no. hand when he's shaking with the president comes off, crawls around his back. Obviously, some kind of weird knife type weapon is embedded in the wrist and it jabs through Jack Nicholson. And then it it, it turns into a pole, which goes about eight <laughs> feet in the air. And then this little flag, a Martian flag pops out, you know, and then they walk out. They've done their job and there's Jack Nicholson laying there dead. Well, that's, uh, that scene, I love that scene. I remember discussing uh, after, <laughs> when the film came out, I remember having a long discussion with with the uh, other friends who love the movie and how everyone else has been murdered in the room, in the big war room. Speaking of a Dr. Strange love homage. Yeah. Uh, he's the president. He gets up. He, he starts his little speech. He does what a politician does. He's got one weapon and his weapon is his ability to bullshit. And yeah. I'm going to bullshit you. And I'm going to make sure that somehow I fix this. And he does it. And he walks up there and he's given this impassioned speech and he even gets a tear out of the Martian's eye. It's effective. You're right. We should shake hands. And then, of course, it's all bullshit. <laughs> yeah. The it. Martians never break character. No, 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 no. Well, actually, they break character. They fool you at first to thinking that you're friendly. But then their character is, <laughs> yes, we will sit there and pretend that we're friends now. And then you're going to die. And that's what it was over and over again. And um, I was really very happy to see um, see them at the end, not do it. They were like, yeah, sap. 
you know, <laughs> they kill him. They run the they run the flag through him or whatever, and the way it so beautifully just drops, you know, well, the, the, the flag drops out of the top of the of the pole. Yeah, and then the, and, the movie and, repeatedly makes sure you understand that the Martians love leading people along and then yanking the carpet out from underneath of that whole thing with the uh, president of France, when, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Maurice, the Nicholson's on the phone with him and he's going, Hey, we've got the Martian ambassador here. We, we think we may have struck a deal with him. <laughs> and Nicholson's yeah. like, Maurice, get out of the room, get out of the room, get out of the yeah. room now. And you can see the you can see the uh, uh, you can see the Eiffel Tower falling over in the background, and guys are getting fried, and their skeletons <laughs> all over the place. And Nicholson goes to put down the funniest Mondu. I love. <laughs> I funny. I swear I love that scene so much. Well, it's like we knew what was going to happen. Even by then, we we're like, no, 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 no. And no, it's no. Nicholson <laughs> that sells that. It, Nicholson does. We we've talked about all these other actors. Nicholson and we and we can complain about the Art Lynn character, but as the president, he is. Excellent. Yeah, he's he's Nicholson having to perform in a in a PG PG thirteen movie. He normally is an R rated actor. His films are, um, you know, there are some films where he doesn't swear as much, like uh, a great movie called The Pledge, which yes. I absolutely yes. love. Uh, and yet, in in but in his more commercial type films um he usually is in r-rated films with the exception of playing the joker in batman but he still got to be just so evil that it still comes across like that in this one he's trying to play the good guy you know he's he's he's, he's playing the good guy well and so he's he has playing at playing the good guy yeah sure sure he's um you know, and and so it's it's what he can do. He cannot cut completely loose. He cannot go full Nicholson. He can't go The Shining. He can't go the last you know, detail. Yeah, the last detail. He can't go One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I mean, he just can't. But it's still very fun to watch him on there. And probably the closest thing we got to it is him telling Rod Steiger to shut up. Which is which, you're right to single that scene out as one of the best in the movie because it's just brilliant. He just is so angry. Yeah. Well, it's amazing that anybody could tell Rod Steiger to shut up. <laughs> I mean, you needed Jack Nicholson to tell yeah, Rod Steiger yeah. to shut up. It's the only way it would but work. yeah, he's great. He's great. He's one still. Yeah, I know. We. I think he's pretty much retired now. I think he's not kind of come back. But um, he just said the last film or so that he did, he had problems remembering the lines, and he said when that happened, that's it. Yeah. But what's interesting go. about him though is that if you ever read his, his his biography or whatever, he said, you know, the way I learned how to work through my scripts and stuff was watching Boris Karloff. <laughs> I watched Boris Karloff when I was on the set of of uh, the Raven, and watched the way that he checked things off that, and the terror. Watched how he would check check through the script to 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 make sure that he learned his lines as best as possible. And he observed Karloff quite a bit, and he said it was a good education. So you know, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. But um, anyway, well, uh, here's uh, the thing: uh, Mars Attacks borrows a lot from everything from. Plan 9 from Outer Space, Invaders from Mars, It Came from Outer Space, of, car, of course, War of the Worlds, sure. uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and Earth versus the Flying Saucers. And it blends all these things under the guise of bringing us this huge comedic thing based on the silliest thing that you could possibly base a movie on trading yeah. cards for God's sake. What's next? Yeah. We're going to base a film on bubblegum. I mean, I mean, I can imagine someone having a spasm and, and wanting to know just what the hell the people were thinking. Were, what, what were they thinking they were doing? But yeah. everything being blended together by someone who loves all this stuff and has real storytelling ability 
who knows who to contact to to put these things together well, who's willing to bend uh, from his original desires. Originally, Burton wanted to do all the special effects in uh, stop motion. He really wanted it to be very Harryhausen uh-huh. and was convinced to, was convinced to do this early CGI stuff because he got to look at the way it way it visually played and realized no 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 this can give me what I'm aiming for so to being flexible to knowing what you want but being flexible enough to allow the creators you gather around you to add to what you want it to be this is one of those great accidents of genius that happens sometime in filmmaking mm-hmm. where. It, not everything works. There are pieces that don't quite fit, but even some of the pieces that don't quite fit, I wouldn't want to not be there. This is, uh, well, first things first, I should have probably stated a long time ago that one of the hardest things to recommend to other people is comedy. Mm, yeah. If you don't find something funny, nothing yeah. I can say to you is going to convince you that it's funny. Yes. That's uh, it's yeah. instinctual. It's yeah. it's. I remember. Built in. I remember the to me one of the funniest movies I ever saw in my life, and I never had heard of it. Um, was um, Billy Wilder's One Two Three with uh, James Cagney? I laughed. Oh, okay. So bloody hard at that. I said, "This is the funniest movie I've ever seen," and then I told people about it. A buddy of mine actually watched it with me the first time he saw it, and he laughed as hard as I did. Then later, we had other people. I showed it to other people, and they're like, that, that, this is just not funny. It's just not funny. Humor is a learned thing. Whether and there's no way to predict it. Monty Python goon humor is a learned thing. I hated Monty Python the first couple of times I ever saw him. I thought they were. it was like I wasn't laughing. Then about a couple of weeks later after seeing some, I started laughing about something I'd seen two weeks earlier. So I went back. I kept taste <laughs> testing it until finally their brand of humor, I caught up with their brand of humor. Yeah. And, but but it did not happen. I said, why is this stuff so? And then I was in you know a psych, uh, psychiatry or sociology class in, in in college, and we decide what's funny. You know, you see you see Charlie Chaplin slip on a banana peel. It's very funny. You see a woman in the Target store who's eighty years old slip slip and fall and bust her head. It's not. Yeah. And it's a very and that happened to me one time. It was horrifying. But the thing is, is that we make a conscious choice that Charlie Chaplin slipping on that banana peel is funny because, well, one thing we know, he's not really hurt. But we we say, oh, that is funny or Buster Keaton or whatever. And it's a tough call. It's a tough call. I've had more disasters trying. That's why I think in my in my uh, repertoire of all the films I, I love. Very few of them are comedy because I, I find that – I don't know. There's something about it. It's like I, I don't I don't seek out comedies. I like a good comedy, but I don't find myself finding out, out that many to be that funny. I don't know if, I, if that makes any sense or not. No, no, no. I agree, I agree with what you're saying because not only is comedy a very individual thing, uh, I find as I get older, I realize that the fewest the, – the genre with the fewest things that I like in it is generally the comedy genre – and I'm not sure if I'm not sure exactly how to phrase this without sounding like a, an old fart who hates everything new. But mm. I find that most modern comedy films aim too broad to yeah. tickle my funny bone. In other yeah. words, they don't get specific enough in their humor for me to find something to latch on to. They're yeah. I I noticed years ago that it got to a point where most television sitcoms these days. All of the jokes revolve around sex. All of them. All, mm-hmm. all, all. Mm-hmm. And 
I'm sorry, but that gets boring for me after a while. I need you to talk about something else, too. I know that there are jokes that can be made about sex and sexual relationships and those kind of things, and I'm, believe me, far from a prude, but you're not making me laugh. Yeah, and no amount I, I've of, always felt that way. I never was one for for um, a sexual humor. That doesn't mean that no joke that was a, a sexual joke never made me laugh. It's it's happened a few times, but I always found myself um, finding it being a a, a cheap shot. It was yeah, it's it's, it was it's LCD. Too. It's lowest common denominator humor, yeah. and that can be funny. But to make that kind of thing funny, you've got to be clever. And if you're not being clever, you're wasting my time. Yeah. Well, really great humor is something that you're not expecting. And nowadays, given the the way audiences are, it needs to be clever. I mean, we can only go through so many fart jokes and things like that. And and there's some some humor I completely reject. I don't like – I'm going to say this because I know we can get away with – I don't like pussy jokes. I never have. I've always thought that was so – it's like really you're kind of – we what, make this big thing. What do you mean thing. by – first First of all, clarify because that word can be used in many different ways. What physical – the physical anatomy part of a woman. Uh, I, I okay. remember when I was younger and you'd have people – you know, they'd be cracking jokes and all that kind of stuff. And there'd be some joke about, um, uh, you know, so-and-so's going in for a hysterectomy. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, she's having her pussy lifted. And I'd be like, you know what? Yeah, but that's not funny. It, it, yeah, but the, but there were people there that laughed, and once again, we said okay. it's a learned thing. And I'd be sitting there going, you know what? That's just that's just nasty. That's not even funny talking about a woman like that. I, I just I never I never I never it's, ugh, it's like come on, you know. There's a thousand ways to talk, and it was said in front of women, you know. And I'm kind of like, you know what? That's just nasty. yeah. I don't, I don't know that's that the not, women that's found not appropriate. That funny because that's not appropriate. Well, it's not know? just that it's inappropriate. I mean, that may it's be just, your objection that you think is inappropriate. It's just that to it's back to the idea of cleverness. If you aren't bringing some twist on what you're talking about, if you're not adding something clever to what you're saying, yeah. then just mentioning something doesn't make it funny. No, and, and I um, think, I, but I think it was just the fact that to them, just the idea that you would bring that up was, in fact, it's so funny. It wasn't funny. It wasn't oh, clever. Well, yeah. It yeah. wasn't clever, and it was demeaning to the to to the people around the table. And I found it to be, and it was funny because I was like the youngest person there. I was, I think, I was like maybe like twenty years old when everybody else sitting around was in their thirties, forties, and fifties, and they were laughing at it. But I'm like, really? This is well. I mean, not- there's there's a level of laughter at un- uncomfortableness that can happen sometimes. You're you're you're, but it. But at the same time, yeah, I mean, something that if you're, if you're going to start talking about these kind of things, you really – these certain subjects need actual wit to yes. be funny. If you're going to talk about certain subjects, you need to be intelligent enough to bring something to it that doesn't <laughs> – so that you don't sound like someone who just thinks that saying the word fart is funny. Yeah. Here's, here's, here's a joke that I thought was funny. And it's it is it is slightly sexual, but it, it's it's well done, and it's done in a in a PG rated fashion because it was on television. Episode of Frasier, uh, Niles is rem- reminiscing about how Frasier had actually had an affair with his piano teacher when he was a young kid, when he was a kid still, and he goes, "Oh, I remember coming in and seeing you two under the piano getting your Rachmaninoffs." 
And I thought that was absolutely hilarious. Okay, that, it was, that is good, yeah. It is good because you're actually, once again, Niles is still this guy that has this upper crust sort of thing. And Rachmaninoff is great classical music. And you've got the piano teacher and you've got the underage. And Rachmaninoff, who in the hell figured that out to place those two together, was pretty brilliant. It was pretty smart. That's I remember smart. laughing at but, you know, there's a lot of those kind of jokes where you talk about the kind of stuff. It's like, no, you really don't have the wit of the guys that write, <laughs> you know, like on Frasier. And they, they've had their stinkers on the show, too. But but I think that uh, I think that I, I like it's got to be witty. It's got to genuinely be witty. And to bring it back to Mars Attacks, that's yes. the thing about this movie that will always have me enjoy it is that yeah. there's a lot of wit in this movie. Yes. Yeah, it's silly as hell. Everything yeah. about it is silly. As a matter of fact, it pretty much holds up a sign and waves it at you going, this is really freaking silly. Yeah. But, they didn't try to hide it even in the movie posters or the advertising stuff. Remember the poster with all the heads that goes, oh, there's yes. Earth. And then Martian, one Martian is going, oh, we'll take it. You exactly. know, I mean, it's it's not – I mean, I remember seeing the poster and thinking, boy, we're really in trouble with this one. Uh, <laughs> but we weren't. It was it, – he, he, wrote, he wrote a fine line and he, and he came out the other end. There's yeah. a lot of people – I remember even watching the Sci-Fi Channel. They had a news show at the time and two guys got into an argument. Somebody goes, well, Independence Day was better than Mars Attacks. And there was some science fiction writer on there. And he goes, no, 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 no. I much prefer Mars Attacks over Independence Day. And, um, and I, to, if I were to be a snob – I would say I agree with that guy, and here's the reason. Mm. One film loves the genre. Mm -hmm. One film has absolute disdain for it. Yeah. Or Mars thinks attacks. it's improving on it. It thinks it's improving on To me, I'm sorry, George Powell's War of the Worlds is an infinitely better infinitely better film than, than uh, 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 Independence Day. Sorry. No, There's not, they're not yes. even close. You know? But for a modern audience, more shit blows up, so this one's better. <laughs> Man, I'm serious, true. man. I mean, it, uh, yeah, it's a joke, but it's an unfortunately true joke. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I um, I remember walking in, like I said, thinking we were going to get a pulp cover come to life. And what we got was uh, a bunch of bad writing and characters like I couldn't stomach. Mars Attacks characters, some of them were meant to be unlikable. Jack Black's character was meant to be unlikable. Joe Don yep. Baker and the, wife, and the wife inside the trailer were funny. One thing I know, I'll tell you TV. Yeah, they ain't you gonna know, get the TV. They ain't gonna get the TV. <laughs> Did you was, notice? Okay, I don't. I don't know how many times I've seen more of the tax. It was watching it this time that I noticed that. Okay, after she says that line about, I'll tell you this, they ain't gonna get the TV. You notice that when the the big Martian robot comes and attacks their trailer park, yeah. and things start to shake, she goes over and she grabs the television. <laughs> I didn't. Yeah, I got to see that again. Yes, There's I, a lot I, going I couldn't on. Couldn't believe I'd not noticed that before. Yeah. It's um, you know, it's 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 not a perfect film. There are some things like we could sit there and decide to do a thing where I would maybe chop ten to twenty minutes out of the film, maybe more like ten. Uh, and there's a few things I'd alter, but overall, I mean, no film. There are very few films that are perfect. There are very few films like like that. Like I left the theater saying, "Oh my god, I just saw a perfect movie." It probably happened like twice or three times in my life, and and even then, you could pick apart some moment in any film i think oh, yeah. um but in this case um overall i left out of the theater very satisfied and the and the people i was with too they all they they were like yeah this is pretty good stuff so oh yeah i think if you're a, if you're a genre fan if you're a monster kid if you're someone who enjoys fantastic cinema this is this is a movie written for you if uh -huh. you're maybe maybe i hate to put it this way <laughs> maybe if you're of a certain age um i think that Younger people may have a harder time with it, but I think that 
at a certain maturity level, late teens, maybe it's something well, you could enjoy too. I don't even know if it has takes that long. Like I said, I showed it to James, and he was a little bit young. I didn't think it would disturb him or anything. And at first, he didn't get some of the – I don't think he got some of the, the black humor. There was a little bit of it he didn't yeah. get. But then later, like I said, he was at the store and, and, and saw a copy and, and bought it. You know, I didn't. I wasn't even there, and he's like, "Oh, I got to get this," and he bought it, and he's watched it a couple of times since then, and he says, "I, I really like the movie." So it just, but then of course he's been raised by a monster kid too, you know. So yeah, I don't know. and that helps. Yeah, or hurts. Um, I'm sorry. I I, I do put a. Um, I, when I try to review things in front of my kids, I try to explain to them, look, you're, I'm running it through a filter of somebody who's been around a lot longer than you, and uh, I don't I don't care for the speed at which a lot of films now have to move. The Michael Bay movies move yeah. at such a rocket pace. Life isn't like that. I mean, you, you look at something – you know, well, here's one that James he, he was trying to watch it recently. He got he had to had to quit watching it. He wanted to finish it, and he's uh, he just now turned 13. Is uh, all the president's men? He wanted to watch that film all the way through, but he was watching it. He was watching it last. Started watching it last year, and he was 12. It was on uh, I think Netflix or Amazon, one of them, and uh, we we got called away from it. But you know, I want my kids to say, "Look, you got to understand some some cinema moves at a snail's pace, but that's not a bad thing." Yeah, I agree. You're I, that's a larger discussion because that's actually a discussion I've gotten into. Uh, actually, Troy and I got into a discussion of this mm. um, in our last Nashi cast, talking about the differences in pacing between films made in the 1970s and ones made today. Yeah. And um, some people who are going back and discovering the films of the 1970s, one of the first complaints they will have about them, whether they like the film in question or not, is wow, it, 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 it takes forever. Nothing happens for like for like the first half of the film. And I'm going, it's called a slow burn. It's called building things up. It's it's called creating atmosphere. And, yeah, but and, there's even movies that were fast-paced back then that nowadays people say are a slow burn. Yes. I mean, I mean, really, there's movies. I remember uh, uh, they reissued The Exorcist, and I, I took a date to see uh, the reissue of The Exorcist, and she goes, man, this movie is slow. And I'm like, Boy, really? No, not really. It's not. <laughs> it's not. You're just. You just want to have. You know. You just want your sugar injections. Right. You right. know. It's well, like it's, it's one of those things. Every- I remember years ago when I first started getting into uh, learning uh, some of the details of the creation of the film Alien. Mm-hmm. I, there was this interview with Ridley Scott where he talks about how when they were making and editing the film, he was terrified because, in his words. Nothing happens for the first 45 minutes. And he had yeah. to be talked off of a, a virtual ledge by mm-hmm. one of the editors and, and one of the producers saying, yes, plenty of things happen. You're being – and he – of course, Scott was being nervous because he was terrified that people were going to find the film boring. And he yeah. had to be talked off a ledge explaining, no, you're showing people all of this stuff. Be confident in what you've built here because you knew what you were doing. You were building atmosphere. You were setting scenes. Yeah. You were introducing characters. You were making sure the audience knew what was going on and setting a baseline before shit starts to happen. But he was terrified. Yeah. That you know what? You know what's happened. sad about that movie too. In a way, I mean, I've watched the movie so many times, and uh, it is that I actually love the first half of that movie so much. I'm actually kind of sad when the monster shows up. <laughs> I, it's like it's such an interesting movie about yeah. about work blue collar working people mm-hmm. in space with the dirt with the look of the ships with all this day to day crap with that real they're characters. doing and it's sort of like 
it's sort of like, wow, you could have made a movie about this and had it be just a which they are they are a thing about companies and the way companies screw people over. Yeah. But but when you but really the movie was fantastic even before the monster shows up. And I went through a love hate relationship with Alien. I remember the I saw it the night it premiered uh, in the country. And uh, I what remember, is with you and the night of premiere, Jesus man? Oh, I always did that. I always did that. It's like the new movies coming out. I'm a, I'm a movie fanatic. I had to go. Um, the uh, the uh, night it came out of Friday, and I had just I think I had just uh, just graduated from high school too, and um, and I remember seeing it, and it was so different at the time that I kind of rejected it for a while. I think a lot of people did at the time. I remember reviews at the time were often very harsh. They weren't that – yeah, people seem to – people like, well, how come Ridley Scott isn't making movies like Blade Runner and, and Alien anymore? It's like uh, you got to remember something. You can bitch about Prometheus if you want to, but you got to remember Alien and Blade Runner were not that well-reviewed. People oh, seem they were horribly to horribly right history, and that's go back, why – Go back – if you want a, an eye-opening experience, and go back yeah. and read contemporary reviews of Blade Runner. Holy shit. Oh, I didn't like the movie that much the first time I watched it. It was repeated viewings and where you're sort of saturated into this universe that Ridley Scott makes, which is what he's fantastic at. So anyway, Uh, as I said, I I ended up going um, uh, going to Prometheus with saying, remember, those two films were not loved when they came out. And I put it through that Ridley Scott works at a different pace. And it's all about the minutia that yes. if you look at it. So I left I left Prometheus and I said, yes, I like the movie. I, um, I like I like Prometheus a lot. Uh, all of the complaints that people about have about it. Well, we talk about are, it sometime. We should yeah. do that one. Yeah, that's that's a good Holy idea. Crap, but actually, hey, the world's think, coming to uh, an end. We need to we need to wind this up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> because uh, I think we've uh, I think we've chewed the fat over these two movies pretty effectively. We did pretty uh, good. I stated to you a couple of days ago that I essentially wanted to use Mars Attacks as a spear to bludgeon and poke <laughs> and destroy Independence Day. And yeah. I don't think I don't think I've quite done that, but I think I've made uh, the first initial steps at establishing publicly my intense hatred for all things Roland Emmerich. So. Um, I think that um, uh, Mars Attacks is definitely one of those situations. If you had Mars Attacks, uh, 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 there's a tipping point with Mars Attacks where you go, it goes, okay, this is a positive film. This gets a positive feeling from me. Yeah. I, I give it some love. I give it some some good feedback, etc. When it comes to um, uh, Independence Day, it tips the other way. It goes down into the negative, with the exception of the special effects, the visual setup of the special effects. The rest of the film is 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 pretty much a waste of time. And that, and that to me is too much of a big waste of time. The only reason that I was able to watch it yesterday is because um, a friend of mine had a copy of the film that they had given me. And I, I looked through a pile of stuff they had given me, and there was a copy of it sitting in there. Um, and I was sitting here trying to think, too, God, do I actually have to pay, go up on Amazon and rent this <laughs> sucker to watch it? A movie I don't like, I'm actually having to pay to see. And I was like, luckily, I went, oh, good, there's a Blu-ray in there. It's a good copy. The picture's real good. But I'm like, no, no, this movie, uh, uh, got Love, it absolutely did not deserve. Oh, yeah, and it's still considered by a, by a wide audience, which is what it was aiming for, as a great movie. And yeah. I just think it's Rap. But of course, well, I, I got thrown that. off of a I got thrown off of a of a chat room one time because uh, there was an argument going on about it, and I and it, what bothered me, and this is the thing, think about this, I got thrown off of a chat room full of writers, 
who were defending it. Really? Now, what does that say to you? What did they write? Technical manuals? No, I don't want to go into it too much. Okay. I don't want right. to. But but I'm telling you, let me put it. They they wrote stories. And they're like, no, no, that's a good movie. And it's like, no, uh, no it isn't. And as a writer, you know, I'm, I am an illustrator and artist, as you know, but I have thousands of other artists that I love that I, that I, that I just go, wow, that person is so talented. Yeah. But if I saw somebody who was bad, first off, I would never, I don't, I don't go up to somebody and go, your artwork's no good. I, mean, I would never do that. Or, you know, they could work their way out of whatever things I didn't like or change or whatever. But if you're a writer, and you're sitting here with one breath saying you hate let somebody like Quentin Tarantino, but that but that Independence Day is is r- really a really good movie, and you're a writer. It's like from what point of view, what vantage point did you make that assessment? Because I'm not a writer, and I know I could write better dialogue than that, and come up with better character development than that. Yeah. Ugh, it just made me sick. So anyway, I got into a big argument, said Mars Attacks was better, and then I didn't get thrown off. The, technically, I didn't get thrown off. I walked away because I'm like, these people, uh, forget it. Forget it. Just yeah, forget that's a uh, – well, I think – and this is true of a lot of film appreciation or film love. There's a lot of group think that goes on. Maybe initially your reaction to the film was not very positive, but you want to be part of the group and – you kind of just go, well, I like this part of it, and you you kind of ignore the parts that you thought were bad, and you mm-hmm. just I, – I, I think that sometimes that can happen as well. And yeah. then <laughs> that group think thing takes over, and everybody's saying positive things about it, which means it's time to say another positive thing about it, and this kind of thing grows over time, and it becomes the general consensus on the subject, and it's it doesn't ever change because people who don't like it get ostracized like well, you did there are some films that people that people say that are the, in the tip top of this genre or that genre and i throw out there i go i didn't like that film and they're like what and you're like i'm sorry i didn't like the film i'm not buying into it i didn't find it to be that that this good or that yeah. good and i've got a list as long as my arms that are as long as my arm that 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 are the the pinnacle this film and the pinnacle that type of film and this and i go no i i don't agree i don't agree at all and you know uh, that's another podcast that we could do that'd be a very interesting one yeah it would be <laughs> well, you I'll might you be what, kind Mark, of surprised at some of my answers well i'm that that's okay i'm sure you'd be surprised at some of my answers i'm always shocked when people agree with me on some of the weirder films and different well, genres. give me just one come on don't don't, don't just you're wetting my appetite mm-hmm. give me one one what? One you love or one you hate that everybody – give me one you hate that – or no, no, I expect that from well, you. I'll tell, I'll give tell me you one what, you love you that everybody else hates. Here, here I'll, I'll give you one that I don't hate the film, but I've never understood the love that the film gets, and that's Ghostbusters. Yeah, I, I, I like it a lot. I like, I like it a it lot. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's cute. It's fun. You can show it to your family. But why it's, got a lot it's of cute considered moments to it, but yeah. why yeah. it's considered an unassailable classic kind no. of – is a mystery to me. All right. I'll give you one completely, totally complete, totally. I left the theater going, really? I was glazed over. I'd already seen the same kind of film on the prisoner was the matrix boring. Oh, really? No, I'm no, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Ugh, I like that. Film. I absolutely hate it. Uh, I, I, did, abs- I, I walked out of the so theater. Totally overrated. Um, I walked out of the film, um, totally blown away because probably because I went in with no expectations. I did not know what this thing was going to be. And it, 
just floored me. So well, I just I saw I everybody made an idea of how incredibly brand new the concept was, and I said I saw that stuff on the Prisoner TV show with McGowan decades earlier. Oh, I have a question the, for the whole you. Sitting thing, and I'm like, yeah, it's I have like a question for you. Yeah. What do you think about the Fifth Element? Fifth Element, I love. Absolutely okay, crazy good. about it. Because Absolutely that one, crazy um, about it. It, that is another very quirky film. But it's um, French. It's very, it's yeah. very, it's like opening up an issue of heavy metal. Half the guys that worked on it, you know, were or the uh, the the design team were guys that had been in heavy metal magazines. I knew Mobius was in. It. I was watching the film, and those robots showed up, and I'm like, that that looks like Mobius. And yep. sure enough, I sat through the ending credits, and it said Jean Giron, and I'm like, yep, there you go, Mobius was was on, and I knew it, and and apparently uh, several other guys from that. But uh, no, it's a fun movie. It's silly. It's um, the humor it, almost always works. Quirky, good quirky humor. Good yeah. quirky, good quirky humor. Um, uh, and an inter- a very international movie. You could see Australians in there, Americans, yeah. French. Um, it felt it, like a movie in which the Earth was one large culture. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You had you had you had uh, Rastafarians. You had Jamaica music in mm-hmm. the background. It's just it was just a fun movie, and the designs were all sort of odd and different, and very um, it and was, odd it was, and different in a way that great. made them feel organic to the way yeah. things might develop. I watched that movie. I can't even tell you how many times I've seen that film. I mean, I don't even <laughs> I know. It. Yeah. yeah, it's great. All right, Mark. We'll um, I, we probably need to wrap this up. God knows how long this episode is going to end up being, but I want to well, thank you for sitting down and talking about these two movies with me. Uh, sure. Obviously uh, 1996 was a, a, a very interesting year for uh, science fiction disaster cinema, uh, yeah. but not in the way that most people seem to think it was. Well, we have our opinions. I'm not going to say that, that, that we're right and somebody else is wrong, but it, it from, I, it, I, I just, yeah, I know you will, but I just <laughs> feel like, um, you know, in art's a subjective thing. I mean, I've been, I've yeah. been told off before for having my opinions on things. And in the case of this, um, I'm glad we got a chance to talk about it because I think that the, the tipping, the, the balance is off on, on between these two films. I agree, man. I agree. Thank you very much again for joining me, man. Hey, buddy. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I love being on your show. It's a lot of fun.